How y'all doing? Welcome back to the Cold Seat Podcast, where the seats are cold and the takes are hot. Episode 48 here today on this draft day eve on Wednesday, April 25th. Um, really, really excited. Best time of the year for the football seat for the football calendar year outside of, you know, obviously in the off season, best time of the year. We're going to start out turning up the heat. A uh, draft-related episode overall today. We're going to touch on a few things outside of football, but mostly it'll be draft-centered. Um, so kicking it off with some hot takes related to the draft. My take is that there will be more tight ends drafted in round one than wide receivers. You know, whether this is two tight ends and one wide receiver or three tight ends and two wide receivers, I think these wide receivers are talked about a lot. They're talked by the, the media discusses this wide receiver class is a lot better than I think teams really think they are. Um, I think teams, front offices are lower on the class as a whole in comparison to the media. And I think a lot of people are going to be shocked when wide receivers slip down the board. In terms of Jackson Smith and Jigba, I think he's gone at the latest 15. Um, but probably by 13, I think Houston at 12, Green Bay at 13 are both realistic spots for him. Um, if he was on the board past 15, I think that'd be a real surprise, but definitely a testament to how the front offices, like I said, view the wide receiver class and that we might see Addison or Zay Flowers um, not be drafted in the first round, albeit there's probably a team that trades up to select them just to ensure that they can get them. Um, definitely a realistic opportunity, uh, possibility that, you know, there, we don't see many wide receivers, if not any or one go in the first round tomorrow. Yeah, here's my I I don't know if I'll go as far as to say that we'll have greater than, but I'll give you greater than or equal to tight ends and receivers. Um but I really do think and I, I heard I heard Connor Rogers say this on their um I think this was I, I kind of I was super busy with with schoolwork and stuff kind of before, you know, the whole weekend leading up to Monday on an exam on Monday night, but kind of prior to that I was really busy. So I kind of pushed off a lot of podcast listening and I um, ended up listening to the NFL stock exchanges, like favorite draft theories. And they talked about this um, pretty heavily. And, um, you know, Connor says, like, I think that the, like the NFL loves to just draft pass cat like receivers. And he, th- he goes, I think that the pass catcher, um, I think, I think Lee or t- like teams across the league will kind of have to have that hunger um, kind of fed by the, the tight end position rather than the receiver position. And I, and I don't disagree. I think when you look at the tight end class, um, the league is apparently really high on Dalton Kincaid. Um, I think most, I think consensus draft media has him pretty firmly in the teens. I think you know D- Daniel Jeremiah is the highest on him at number at number nine on his big boys final big board. Um, I think we've both got him around what fourteen. I think he's at fourteen on my board and he's at he's fifteen on your board. So he we're we're flopped on him, right? So he's right there for us. Um, probably the league's really high on him, so I could see it. I think Michael, Michael Mayer. Um, if you're gonna ask me who like the five safest players and the, the the five like safest bets, highest floors, he's probably in that five. Um, it's just a guy who's gonna come in and probably gonna be just a, just a a ten year player. Like he's just gonna be a starting ten in for ten years. I think that's a pretty safe bet. Um, and then obviously you look at Darnell Washington, who's who's literally one of one. There there's not another Darnell Washington, and there may not ever be uh, a guy that big that moves that fluid. Um, a lot of projection with his game, obviously, but again. He's one of one. He's he's so rare that, um, you know, I, I think someone's going to take him because the NFL always drafts elite physical profiles early, and he's one. He, he's the he's the definition of elite physical profile. So, um, 
then I think when you look at the receiver class, um, you know, the, the one guy who really obviously JSN's kind of the, I think the unanimous one. And I think you hit on it. I think the floor is 15 or 16 maybe, but again, if he's still on the board at 16, I, I don't, or 15 or whatever, I think someone's going to trade up and get him. Um, like if he's on the board at 14 and, and the, and the Patriots don't want him, they'd move down. Like there are, te- there's a team that would move up to get him. Like I think Seattle could go, could go move up and get him. Like even Seattle at 20 could go to like from 20 to 12, maybe. Um, or even 13 with the peg of the Packers want to kind of want to move back. Um, I can see that as well. But again, uh, outside of him, you look at the next two guys being pretty consensus being Jordan Addison and Zay Flowers. And I think most folks have cooled on Quentin Johnson as we've gone through the process and here the NFL's probably cooled on him. Um, and those guys are both physical outliers. Like physically, they are outliers in how small they are. Um, Addison being as slender as he is, and obviously Zay with the height. Um, and then look at the one big guy of the group, like I said, and, and Johnston, who is he's got drop issues. He's he's a great athlete, but he's not a great wide. He's not great at playing wide receiver, which is kind of what he's trying to get drafted to do. So um, obviously a weaker receiver class. I, re- I really love the depth on day two. And we're going to talk about that um, with our top 50 big boards kind of at the end of the episode today. Um, a couple of guys that I love. That I got that I kind of snuck into the back end of my 50 um, that I think are just going to be solid receivers. They maybe not break, you know, you know, break the bank, but guys who are going to be solid pros. Um, I think the values on dates, I think the NFL is going to realize that. I think you're going to see a lot more. I think you're going to see some corners that you haven't heard yet, some edge rushers we haven't heard yet go in this top 31 picks, as well as, like, you know, we might get three interior offensive linemen, right? Like we might get seven edge rushers like don't be shocked if seven edge rushers go in the first round and we'll and we'll name drop some of those guys obviously we've talked about them on the pod at least once with the um you know with the the two the second round mock that we did but don't be shocked if we get like seven edge rushers in the first round so i like that call out there brett and like i said i don't know i don't know if i'll go greater than but i'll definitely go greater than equal to um with there which i think is still a hot take um but my hot take for this um, I know we talked about it after we recorded, recorded the mock on Monday was that I think it's a mistake for Houston to pass on quarterback. Um, I genuinely think that I don't think they'll ever be picking this high again. And it doesn't have to be Stroud. Doesn't have, I, It could be Richardson or it could be Levis or it could be Stroud. But I don't think they're going to be in this position again. You can't you can't plan to draft it two forever. Can't plan to draft it one, even three or four especially with hiring D'Amico Ryans has to signal that they're ready to be competitive. They are ready to take the next step and be competitive, you know, and, 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 and mind you a weak division. Like, I don't think the Colts are going to be, you know, there's, there's, there's chatter in the league that, that they feel like they're in a position to compete with the veterans on that roster. Personally, I don't think that they're going to be there in year one, especially breaking in a rookie quarterback. Um, And I could be wrong, but I think breaking in a rookie quarterback's hard. And I think, as much as I like Shane Steichen, he's getting a little too much credit for what he did with Justin Herbert in his rookie year and what he did with Jalen Hurts. I think he's getting a little too much credit for those guys being really talented players and having really, you know, in in, in Jalen's case, the most talented roster in the league, right? So I think I think we're giving Shane Steichen a little too much credit for year one, you know, for quarterback play. Um, I think they're just kind of a, a time away. So I think that feasibly you could look at the, the Houston Texans and go, and if they nail all of their what they have like what three or four top 50 picks they nail those picks which in this class doesn't feel like they'd be super hard pressed to do so picking it 2 12 and 33 those are those are those are good picks and at 12 you're still getting a really talented player in my opinion so i think them passing on a quarterback they nail these picks 
you, they could feasibly be the second best team in the division ahead of the Titans and the Colts. A Titans team that I think that roster is horrid. And I think that they've got a huge issue with Ryan Tannehill there. I, I don't think, I think we saw, he may be on a Matt Ryan trajectory, if you will, where I think we're going to see a pretty steep decline from him. Um, in an offensive line, it's it, it's not just the 11th overall pick away from giving Derrick Henry another 2,000-yard season. Like, they are pieces and pieces away on that team from competing at a higher level on the offensive side of the football. And then you get to the defense that's aging. You know, frankly, they're, they're high, they're, you know, the high invested capital that they made yeah, in the draft, what they took, um, Caleb Farley, I was going to blank on his name for a second. Caleb Farley is two years ago, and it's not been pretty for him. So I just think that for a Houston team that should not be picking this high again, you you can't just – you can't bet on A, you can't bet that the, that the grass is greener next year. You can't bet on it, right? You You can't just sit there and go, oh, the class is better next year. We'll get one next year. Well, we don't know that. All we know right now is that Caleb Williams is going to be a guy. And in my opinion, whoever sits at one isn't isn't going to move out of it. I don't think we're going to get a Chicago Bears situation where, like, the Panthers are picking one or the Colts are picking one. The two teams that I'm locked in at taking the quarterback, I don't know if those teams are picking one next year. I don't think we're going to get – and that's a what if. We're, we're gambling with that. We're, we are – and frankly, Houston should have been picking one the entire offseason, right? The entire season, they should have been until Lovey Smith knew he was out and wanted to win a game just to give the biggest middle finger in the world to the Houston Texans franchise. So, personally, I think it's a mistake. You can't bet that Carson Beck at Georgia, Quinn Ewers at Texas, uh, J.J. McCarthy at Michigan, you can't, you know, Michael Penix at Washington, Jordan Travis, you can't bet that those guys take the prerequisite next step and become an NFL quarterback. You can make the argument Jordan Travis is or Michael Penix, but those guys, if they would have come out this year, would not have been first, first, second round picks pretty firmly on that. Right. So you, you're, you're betting a whole lot that guys who have not shown they can be NFL quarterbacks yet, or let alone play football in Carson, in Carson Beck's case, we don't know what these guys are going to be. How can you bet that, oh man, we're going to get one of those two guys that, you know, in May and Caleb, which Frankly, I don't I don't know if you're going to be able to. If I need a quarterback and I have two, sorry Houston, I, I'm not even picking up the phone. I'm taking the quarterback. Sorry. You you can't you can't make me a good enough offer, right? So, I just think it's a mistake. Um and and they could and I'm not saying they're they're going to pass on a quarterback. They could very well this could all be a bunch of BS and they could take Stroud or Richardson or Levis. I just think it would be a monumental mistake for a franchise that can't get themselves out of the gutter. This is just them Digging the, the digging the hole deeper in a, in a in a conference that you can't trot out Jimmy Garoppolo and run the gauntlet of Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, Pat Mahomes, Justin Herbert, Trevor Lawrence, Lamar. You you can't run that gauntlet with you can have the best defense in football. You can't run that gauntlet. We saw it happen to the 49ers. They ran into a buzzsaw with a great quarterback. You 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 can't. I don't care how good the defense is. You can't run the gauntlet in the playoffs in the AFC with Jimmy Garoppolo or Hendon Hooker or someone of that caliber, that tier at quarterback in the way that San Francisco did with when D'Amico Ryans was there. That's why everyone's kind of saying this. Right? Oh, D'Amico never had quarterback in San Francisco. Well, they took the swing with Trey Lance. Let's just let's just be reminded of that. Number two, 
they couldn't they couldn't they couldn't go all the way. They they fell short. Their quarterback play fell short shorted them in the playoffs with Jimmy Garoppolo in that Super Bowl. If we remember, look back, Kyle Shanahan tried to get the monkey off off of Jimmy's back and throw the football, and he couldn't do it in the fourth quarter, and they lost that game, the Chiefs, in the start of a dynasty, right? So uh, you just in the AFC you can't in the NFC fine be my guest whatever. They can't do it. They can't take a quarterback. They can't pass on a quarterback, in my opinion. Be a total mistake. And I know Will, I know I get how, how talented Will is, Tyree or, or Jalen, but brother, you, you can't do it. You have to go quarterback now and just figure and it. Pick, 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 pick Van Ness or, or Nolan's with a 10 or a 12. Get a talented or trade up. Go get an elite defender. I bet you Detroit would move down. Vegas would probably want to move down too. Atlanta there are plenty of teams that want down. to move down. We know Atlanta wants to move down. We've heard Vegas might want to shoot. Get up to three. I don't care. Get up to three. Trade a pick. Trade trade thirty three to get up to twelve, or to get up from twelve to three. Go for it. Get your get both. I love it, but you just you can't not you can't be in this position and not take a quarterback if if you're if you're Houston. It's a total mistake. All right, I'm off. I agree. I agree. Um, I think in terms of what Houston could do. They could take either and be fine, but in terms of the long-term outlook of that roster and with a first-year head coach who seems like he's there to stay, it would be smarter to take a quarterback, given that C.J. Stroud is likely going to be on the board, barring something crazy. Um, it seems like it's Bryce pretty, cert- pretty certain that it's Bryce right now for Carolina. Well, I mean, it, if 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 Bryce doesn't go one, he's going two. Like that, the, right. the, like I guess my my assumption is that, and we've talked about it a bunch, is right. Like we think Bryce is going one. And when that does happen, this is the kind of the, the scenario, right? So I do want to say they, they wouldn't pass on Bryce. They're, they'd take him. Yeah. Just, yep, I just want would. to clarify. They, um, this, isn't, this isn't them passing on Bryce. This is them passing on Stroud Richardson or, or, or Levis. Yeah, I think for Houston, obviously they have ties within their coaching staff. Um, I don't think they can necessarily go wrong with this pick. And I always hate judging a pick like instant reaction because you haven't seen them play a snap in the NFL. I always say I like to wait two, at least two years for judging a pick. And it is tough. Like when you take a guy you don't want, especially with this high value of a pick being at number two overall in a whole draft. But if they want defense or quarterback, I wouldn't hate it for them either way. I probably feel the same. It's just quarterback does more for them in the long term. Um, but yeah, definitely a tough decision for them in terms of who wants what within that front office. It's probably going to be tough, but I think the pick should be, should be C.J. Stroud. Um, I just don't know if they would do that or, you know, basically it's, it just comes down to what they think they can do this year with whoever the pick is. I will say to me, it's not about like it's more about the process than the players. I don't want like, to get lost in translation that the translation that. They, they should be passing on Will Anderson or Tyree Wilson or Jalen Carter. To me, it's about the process, right? It's a, it, it, the, the draft in building a franchise and in, in, in drafting is so it has to be so process oriented. Like go to the Cardinals who have maybe the worst draft process I've ever seen in the last four years. Great. You take Kyler. Cool. Perfect. Great. Next year, what do they do? Linebacker. Next year after that, linebacker. Next year after that, they don't have a first round. They trade it for a mediocre an above average at best receiver in Hollywood Brown. They moved a first rounder for him. Terrible process. Then they then with their first pick, they took, they took a tight end. Horrible process. So again, it's a it's a process. This is a process oriented league, and the draft so specifically is a process oriented 
kind of process process oriented event situation, if you will. I don't want to say process, but it's so process oriented that like you have to have a good thought process and a reason for doing these things. And to me, the process of this roster right now, where it is taking an edge player over a quarterback in the division they're in, in the con- and to me, it's the biggest, it's the conference that they're in. If you're in the NFC, the process is different. It, it is. And, and that's, and that's okay. But in the AFC, your process has to recognize the fact that or part of your process needs to recognize the fact that you've got realistically, I mean, next year at the end of next year, you can be talking about the five, all five best quarterbacks in the entire league are in the AFC. Right. I mean, I don't think that's out of of some order of of honestly, not in the top 10 genuinely. Like you think about the, just the, the dudes that are there, the process has to take that into account. And you can't just assume, man, I'm going to build this, this monster defense. You got to take, you have to take the swing. Houston hadn't done it in a long time. And I get that last year wouldn't need to do it. I'm not saying they should have. In fact, I would have, I I would have advised heavily against it last year because the quarterback class was terrible. But you look at Stroud, who, testing aside, his his number, his testing number aside, if the cognitive test, he can come in and be and be better. He, he can come in and be better than Jimmy Garoppolo as an elite thrower of the football. You want to talk ceiling? Shoot. Anthony Richardson's got the ceiling that I don't we have not seen in a long time in this in, in the draft. This the the, the physical tool. We, we've never seen a quarterback possess that many physical tools. Right. So. Pick your poison, but, but you've got but you've got to do it at some point. That's right. kind of my the process oriented part of it is my is my big thing here. For sure. I think they do have a lot of ammo and I think this would be a year to add a quarterback just because of all the other picks they have as well. And the fact they won't be picking this high, like you mentioned. Um, but I wouldn't hate it either way for him. Um, but we'll, we'll get back to talking about the draft a little bit at the end of the episode. We are going to move on now to the NBA. First round of playoffs uh, going on right now. But the past couple of days, we've had a couple uh, news pieces. First, that former Boston Celtics head coach, Ime Udoka, uh, obviously fired from the Celtics. He agreed to a deal to become the next head coach in Houston for the Rockets, who have the highest, the, who are tied for the highest odds at the first overall pick in this year's draft. NBA lottery, I think, is in mid-May, with the draft being early July. Um, so big move there for Houston. I don't know if it was the right move. I don't know kind of all the candidates that they were looking at, but definitely a proven head coach um, makes his way down to Houston, and yeah, that's pretty much it. And then a couple. NBA awards have been given out. Most improved player go to the Utah Jazz, Larry Markkinen. And the rookie of the year was the Orlando Magic's Paulo Bancaro. Both pretty easy awards, I thought. Didn't really seem like, you know, Paulo had a really, really good year, obviously. No one else was really contending with him for rookie of the year. And then Markkinen, what he did after being traded, um, really helped the Jazz out a lot and kind of made a playoff push there for a while. Yeah, yeah. Um... I'll get the awards first. Uh, the rookie of the year seemed easy to go to Paolo. Um, had a really good year for the Magic. Um, and I, I'll say that the rookies weren't super, super impressive kind of throughout the whole year. So felt pretty easy to go to Paolo. And then um, Markkinen, like you said, the, the playoff push for the Jazz, he was, a, he was a huge part of that. Um, obviously an all-star this year. So 
Um, most most improved players seem like a couple like an easy one for their easy one him for him there. Um, so again, it's too too easy. Um, kind of awards here, and then Udoka getting the job in Houston. Um, from a coaching standpoint, it's great. I just for a franchise that has not been able to get over the hump, seems right. like a risk. Seems like a culture risk. Um, just with him getting getting uh, canned in Boston for the you know the personal conduct issues. Um, interesting. Uh, I think yeah, again from a coaching standpoint, it's a great it's a great move. Um, obviously a lot of success in Boston, so um, hopefully it works out. Hopefully he can um, you know not have any issues off the court in, in Houston. Um, and hopefully this kind of is a is a good marriage here, and ultimately you know it's fruitful for for both parties. Um, kind of going to do a playoff update though. Um, in the Eastern Conference, the Bucks are down three one against the Heat. Um, Giannis has been hurt. Uh, Jimmy buckets. Playoff Jimmy's a top five player of all time, up there with Game Six Clay. Um, honestly, I mean he's been he went crazy when we were like what fifty six in Game Four. Um, I believe they're playing tomorrow to for a closeout in Milwaukee. Um, yeah. probably, I think I think it goes six. I I think he, I think Miami ends it in six, but um. And then Boston's up 3-2 on, on the Hawks. Um, had a chance to win it in Boston last night. Uh, Trey Young with a huge shot late. Um, forces a game six in Atlanta. Uh, Philly swept. Philadelphia 76 or swept the New, or New York. I say New York. Um, Brooklyn Nets uh, 4-0 in a series that really wasn't competitive. It felt like um, every time the Nets wanted to get close to winning a game, it felt like Philly had just more firepower at the end to hold them off. And then... Um, Knicks are up through one of the Cavs. I know we both picked the Cavs to win that series. Or did you pick the Knicks in one of them? I believe I picked the Cavs. Yeah, I think I we remember. both picked the Cavs. I think we, I think we both did. So, um, obviously, it's surprising there, but a really good playoff performance from New York so far. And um, looking to win a playoff series since the first time, and I don't even know how long. I don't know the last time the playoff series was. It was like the 90s probably. Yeah, it's been a Good while. I know Stephen A. Smith is going crazy being a Knicks fan, um, but they still do have to win one more. Um, looking over to the West, though, the one seed Nuggets closed out the eight seed Timberwolves last night in Denver, winning that series in five. Two seed Grizzlies, seven seed Lakers. Lakers are up 3 1 right now after winning back to back. The three seed Kings versus six seed Warriors. Tied 2-2 with Game 5 tonight. I'll definitely be tuned in. That's been the best series of all of them so far in a, you know, yep. in a in a first round that's been loaded with good series. And lastly, last night, the Phoenix Suns closed out the Los Angeles Clippers 4-1 um, in Phoenix. It came out after the Kawhi had a torn meniscus. Uh, Paul George was out. If both those guys are healthy, I think they might go to the conference finals just because of really mainly of Kawhi. I mean, Russ was playing well. But the Suns are just a loaded roster at the top, and when you have those guys playing 35-plus minutes, uh, it's tough to keep up with, especially when they're at home. So they won that series in five. But overall, like we said, a really good opening round so far. Three of the eight series have concluded, and they're looking forward to a better uh, conference semis round as you know the competition keeps increasing as we go. Yeah, I was wrong. The Heat Bucks played another four games tonight, three closeouts, all potential road closeouts um, for the team that's up in the series. Also interesting, uh, if the Lakers and the Heat both win tonight, it would be the first time that a, that a play-in team advances uh, in, the, in the playoffs. So um, that's uh, kind of a couple of storylines to follow there. Um, four games tonight, but a lot of games for a Wednesday night. Um, 
Lakers, Grizzlies, Knicks, Cavs, Heat, Bucks, and then uh, Warriors, Kings game five um, at nine o'clock. Definitely going to watch that game. Um, we'll get into the NHL here. Another NHL playoff update. <clears throat> Pardon me. Um, Boston Bruins are through one of the Panthers. Um, Boston really took control of that series. So um, don't know when their next game is. I can pull it up as I'm kind of going through these real fast. Um, I believe they play, they play tonight. So probably looking for a closeout in Boston um, for the Bruins tonight. Um, Hurricanes Islanders are tied or, or never mind. That's the next series. Uh, Hurricanes Islanders. Hurricanes are up three to two. Um, I believe they play Friday. Yeah, they play Friday. Um, should be good. It's an Islanders home game. So probably looking at a game seven there. Um, Devils Rangers are tied two two. I uh, believe they play Thursday. Um, yeah, they play tomorrow night. So um, home game for the Devils. Obviously, home ice is huge, but um, the Rangers team to tell off playoff playoff experience. Looking for you know, it's been honestly been a really good series there. Um, most of these series have felt pretty competitive. Um, a lot of close games. Um, obviously, playoff hockey is electric. Um, we've talked about that a lot. Uh, and then Lightning and the Maple Leafs Toronto is up three one and looking to close out the series tomorrow night at home. Um, I think it's a lightning team that's kind of um, kind of seeing the fall of a dynasty, but um, yeah, really good, really good playoff so far. Like I said, Boston kind of took control of that series, like we talked about, um, dropping you know what one one loss at home was a little surprising, but probably getting a closeout tonight in Boston. So um, definitely going to check those scores kind of as the night goes on. Probably watch the NBA games over the hockey games, but definitely going to have uh, maybe I'll throw it on the iPad and kind of in the background. Yeah, four exciting series in the East so far. No series have concluded yet across the eight. Bruins looking really good. Um, Hurricanes Islanders always exciting. Both those teams uh, kind of going back and forth. Rangers, I think, will beat the Devils. Um, but nonetheless, Devils putting up a fight in a pretty tight series. Lightning Maple Leafs has been a lot of fun. Um, have a tough trip to take every few days for those two teams. Um, but yeah, really close series. I think the Leafs came back from like down 3-0 and won it. Uh, in the West, we have the Stars and Wild. Dallas is up 3-2 after a shutout win last night at home. Oilers and Kings. Uh, Kings had a big comeback as well. Edmonton's up 3-2 currently. Vegas Golden Knights versus the Winnipeg Jets. Vegas is up 3-1, playing really well. A one loss, I believe, was at home against the Jets. And Colorado Avalanche playing the Seattle Kraken. And that's tied at 2-2. So another set of four intriguing series so far. And I think Whoever does advance to the conference semis, um, you know, will be, will be battle tested early on in these playoffs. No, no doubt. Um, man, cracking up three one is, is big. Or sorry, never mind two two. Vegas is up three one. Um, probably gonna watch that cracking game tonight. No, it's um, having it on in the background. It's uh, game five there, eight thirty tonight on ESPN. So definitely check that out. But that kind of wraps up. Um, yeah, that wraps up NHL. Not again, not a ton of series have included yet. Uh, I know they started a couple days after the NBA. Um, and then you you don't always, I think in the NBA you see more um, you know, more quick series, if you will, you know, more four and five game series as opposed to hockey where home ice is pretty big. So um maybe a couple steal a couple games, that kind of thing. So um, but yeah, that kind of wraps up NHL and that kind of kicks us over to golf. Um, and I'll let you kind of recap this past weekend in golf. Yeah, this is the past weekend. We had a little bit of a smaller event. It was a Zurich Classic of New Orleans. That was played at TBC Louisiana in Avondale, Louisiana. The smaller event featured an alternating round four-ball and foursome format. And last year, Patrick Cantlay and Xander Shoffley took home the win as the pairing that finished the most under par. This year, we had Nick Hardy and Davis Riley. They won the event at 30 under, each taking home their first career PGA Tour victory. 
They won by two shots uh, as the next close was at 28 under. And the defending champs, Cantlay and Shoffley, finished tied for fourth at 26 under. So a lot of really low scores to be expected uh, and a high quality of golf overall. Didn't see many too high scores given that, you know, two guys were playing the same holes together and kind of taking the best shot most of the time. So pretty exciting weekend this past weekend, this upcoming weekend. Uh, kind of an off weekend for a lot of guys. We have the Mexico Open. Smaller event has a purse of only 7.7 mil uh, that's paid out across the whole field that makes the cut. Played at Vedanta Vallarta in Via Hidalgo, Mexico, and John Rahm won the event last year. So uh, I believe he's the favorite to win it again this year, rightfully so, currently being the world number one. Um, I assume he's defending his title, but I don't know if many other guys will be playing. Uh, many, many other, you know, Big name guys will be playing in that event. And then next weekend, we have the Wells Fargo Championship. Play at Quail Hollow Golf Club in Charlotte, North Carolina. Max event, Max Homa won the event last year. And the purse is $20 million, So a pretty, pretty big event there at a legendary golf course in North Carolina. I believe Rory won it in 2021. And you just always see a really high quality competition there. As a lot of guys like to play in that event coming off the Mexico Open. Yeah, no, I think uh, should be a good one. I'm, I mean, dude, 20 million purses a lot. Um, but, you know, up, up, purses have been upped kind of in the last year or so um, for the PGA. So looking forward to seeing that. Obviously, I think uh, I'll, I'll say I'd love to see Rom win it, kind of go back to back, kind of continue the dominance for him this year. Um, so just coming off the Masters win. So pulling for Rom this weekend and then um, obviously next weekend, just hoping for a good tournament. Um, probably be tuning in, obviously, with draft is over and, um, not have a lot going on on the TV, so probably tune in next week into the Wells Fargo Championship. That pushes us to college baseball here. Um, recap from last weekend. Not a bunch of series this week to kind of talk about. Um, and obviously, the draft tomorrow, so we want to save a little bit of time on the previews. Um, we'll just preview the Texas Tech series for this weekend. But uh, recaps from last weekend, three Houston. Um, three Houston. I don't know why I just said Houston. I don't know. Wait, then using Houston on my screen. I'm just like out of it i guess i don't know i'm just still focused on the draft and then what he sent it to i suppose still um my little rant earlier uh but no three florida at south carolina florida got swept in three straight um uh, three dominating wins obviously honestly for south carolina 13 three um five two and seven five so a big statement series for south carolina I believe they jumped to three in the rankings this weekend or this past week so um huge win for south carolina again a statement i think um maybe a little bit telling about florida i think Florida kind of jumped up the three after after a big series early and had never really been challenged and hadn't truly been challenged by a power yet. I felt like and um, you know, obviously South Carolina. I mean they're they're the real deal. They were going to a rubber match with, with LSU in Baton Rouge, so obviously got canceled with the weather. But um, South Carolina series this year, man. They, they probably have the best offense in, all, in the entire nation, um, and they're going to be a team to it's going to make some noise uh, as we get into the May and in June. For sure. Um... You know, when you beat the number three and you sweep the number three team in the country who has a good offense and solid pitching, outscore them 25 to 10 in the series. Uh, that's saying something. And then next big series, another SEC matchup. Shocker. Um, for Vandy at unranked Tennessee. They just dropped out of the rankings last week. They are back in the rankings now after they swept Vandy. Um, so number three, number four. Both got swept and. Tennessee won the opener four to three on what was a crazy opening game on Friday. Um, you know, Tennessee was down three to one going into the ninth, hit a solo bomb, and then hit another bomb down to their last strike to tie it to go to extras. And then a few innings later in the 12th, 
they had a solo bomb to walk it off. So not much offense, but a lot of home runs in that one. Saturday, Tennessee won 17 to one. I think they scored five in the first and just kept on rolling. Sunday they scored, they won 10 to five. So a huge series there for Tennessee to jump back in the rankings and Vandy only fell a few spots, <laughs> I guess, not surprisingly, but a uh, big, another series sweep there and another team in the top five going 0 and 3 over the weekend. Yeah. Uh, tough week for the top five or tough, I guess, plus the midweeks last week. So tough, tough for the top five, top 10. Um, statement win for Tennessee that kind of let everyone know that, Hey, like the, Hey, we're still here. Um, obviously kind of a rough, a rough patch earlier in the year, but they're still here. They're still, they're still a contender. Um, still pull up a lot of, put up a lot of runs. So, uh, a team that I don't think anyone's going to really want to see, um, in a regional, but, uh, obviously the SEC tournament is going to be crazy. I think we're going to see some, some huge upsets. So, um, hopefully, I would love to see it. I'd love to see it. Honestly, I'd love to see Tennessee go have a huge upset in the SEC tournament. So um, kind of keep keep watch there. Uh, Boston College at North at number 18, North Carolina. Um, and BC with a road sweep in Raleigh was surprising. Um, on the road against another quality program in the ACC. Uh, tight win on Friday night, 9-8. to eight, Saturday, 9-4 to four win. And then Sunday, 6-2 to two win. So pretty... Uh, Pretty dominating overall with this with the second two games. Obviously, winning the tight game on Friday night and kind of a big statement from Boston College um, coming off of a loss the week the week prior, um, vaulting themselves back up into the top 15 there. Yeah, big win, uh, big sweep there for Boston College. Played really well over the course of the season. A couple series losses, but other than that, they've been solid. Pitching has been really solid. Moving on, uh, number 24 Southern Miss traveled to play number 10 Coastal Carolina, who after this series was probably the second best offense in the country behind South Carolina just due to level of competition. I believe Coastal has scored the most runs per game, though. They lost 11-1 last night against Wake Forest, though, so testament to Wake Forest oh, pitching. And throttled, stuff brother. Rolled. But in terms Impressive. of this series, um, Coastal swept number 24 Southern Miss 15-7 on Friday, 20-7 on Saturday, and 15-7 on Sunday, so Three dominant uh, performances when you outscore 50 to 21 in a three-game set is pretty impressive. Um, but yeah, Coastal has been playing really well over the course of the season, obviously with a down game yesterday. But other than that, they've been really solid. Yeah, um, dominant, re- really solid. You know, for I mean, 20 runs is ridiculous. 15 and then 20 is just absurd. Um, and you put up seven on a Sunday is like, man, how do you? It's a lot of offense for three day, for three days. Um, but no, a solid series from from Coastal. Uh, again, a, a big one for them, keeping the top ten um, against a quality Southern Miss Southern Miss team. Um, Oregon State, Arizona State uh, in Tempe. Um, did I just mess that up? Uh, yeah, I what? did, didn't I? What did you say? I'm looking where their campus is. Yeah, no, I know. Okay, I'm I'm not totally wrong. They're in Tempe. Okay, that's what I thought. I don't know why I thought I got that wrong. My brain is fried, dude. I'm thinking about the draft. Didn't help. Had dreams about the draft. Just didn't sleep good, you know. Um, I might have been lying. I might have been embellishing, but that's how it's been the last three days. Um, yeah. But no, a series in Tempe for two ranked Pac-12 opponents at 21 and 19, respectively. Um, Oregon State took the first one, 13 to 11, in a barn burner. Arizona State comes back and two, honestly, two more barn burners at an 11 to 7 win for Arizona State on Saturday. Arizona State took the rubber match again on Friday, 12 to 10. So a lot of offense, uh, not great pitching from either staffs. Um, 
but a big win for Arizona State against uh, obviously a, a lower ranked opponent by two by two point or two spots in the rankings, but um, a really quality program in Arizona State, a scrappy program, uh, a team that always seems to figure it out late April and kind of get right. Um, so this is a big win for Arizona State, and um, I'm sure it helps their uh, their whatever the stu- RPI, this stupid metric. Um, I'll we can rant about that on other podcasts, but right. um, yeah, yeah, good win for Arizona State. Yeah, a solid series win against a you know a proven, tested opponent. Oregon State seems to always be high in the rankings by the time the year wraps up. But to round out the recaps, we have Texas Tech, of course. They hosted uh, number 16 Tech hosted Baylor last weekend. Tech won the opener on Friday night, 10 to one. Dropped the first of the two, or won the first of the two on Saturday, 14 to nine and dropped the back half of the doubleheader 6-4 to four in what was kind of a lackluster game offensively. Hitting it hard, but right to the gloves of the Baylor defenders. Um, so, yeah, a series win for Texas Tech. You know, can't be too upset about it, but it would have been nice to get the sweep over it. You know, I think they're the second to last in the Big 12 right now. Yeah, um, would have been would have been nice. You know, really a weird Saturday for baseball for tech, obviously a big win on Friday. And then um, Saturday they were up huge. They kind of gave up some runs late and then kind of attack on some, some insurance late and, and, and went in 14 to nine. And then um, Saturday game was weird. They just, it was, it was super cold, super windy. It, it was like, what it was April 21st and it was like right. 40 degrees outside. It was super gross. Um, felt like it might, felt like it was going to rain all day, but it, it wasn't like, um, so, so it's just a weird Saturday of baseball. Um, a lot of missed opportunities for the tech team, and um, it's just a tough one for them to, to for them to drop. But again, the the the, the near sweep, they move up two spots. Um, and with the big series this weekend against Kansas State on the road, really looking for two back to back road series wins, which would be nice um, against a, a decent Kansas State team. Not gonna act like they're uh, act like they're the best team in in in, in, in land, but um, they're certainly a formidable opponent, if you will. Um, and again, just just going to Manhattan is always a tough place to play, no matter what sport, especially basketball. But no matter what sport, um, not a great place to go travel and play. So really hoping Tech can come out, um, just just win two. I don't need them to win, you know, get a sweep, but a, a road series win. We saw just start stacking the road wins, um, help their RPI ranking, if you will. For sure, it's going to be a tough series to win for them. Kansas State's played well and um, has really good pitching. I think they're the best, one of the best closers in the country right now. And a couple solid starters with a good offense. So playing at home is going to play to their favor a lot. That's going to be the only one we kind of preview this week. There's a few other big series that we have going on. Uh, Miami-Louisville is a ranked matchup. I believe Kentucky-Vandy is a ranked matchup. And Duke-Virginia, Arizona State-Oregon. Those are four ranked matchups that we have this weekend. But not going to get too much in-depth to them, into them as we are going to shift on over to our final part, the NFL, of course. Free agency update, first of all, um, had a big bit of news go down yesterday, excuse me, two days ago. Um, it, it seems like the days are slow, but at the same time, I, the week is slow, but the days are going by fast. It may not make sense, but it just feels nah, like it's like... Nah, today, today, today's been slow. Yesterday was fine because I had class all day. Monday I had a test. Dude, today's been dog slow. I mean, it's, it's 3.30, and I feel like I've been awake for 18 hours today. Yeah, today has been a little bit slower, but I did have two hours of class earlier, so hasn't been That's too fair. bad. Um, but yeah, the Packers and the Jets, they finally agreed to terms on a trade to send four-time MVP 
and Super Bowl winning quarterback Aaron Rodgers to the New York Jets. This is a trade that I think the Packers are very happy about. Personally, I think the Packers got a little more in return than what I initially thought they would have. The Jets got, obviously, Aaron Rodgers, a 2023 first-round pick in the 15th overall, and a 2023 fifth, which is 170 overall. Green Bay got, in return, a the 13th overall pick this year, so just a swap where Green Bay gets to move up two spots. The 2023 second, a 2023 sixth, and a 2024 second that becomes a first if Rodgers plays 65% of the snaps this season. So it's looking like essentially it's going to be a, a second rounder and a first rounder. That's essentially what the trade is. There's a General Jeremiah said it really well. There's a couple sweeteners in this trade where you have the Jets going up 37 spots in the fifth round, and then you have the Packers going up two spots in the first. So those are little minute moves that kind of facilitated it and got it done. The main thing is Aaron Rodgers goes to to New York for essentially a second and a conditional second next year. It's likely going to be a first barring injury. Um, I mean, if I'm so we, we talked a lot about this, um, what the compensation could be, and we kind of just stopped taking guesses at it after a while because it felt like felt arbitrary because none of us thought it was going to get done by draft day. We thought it would come and go. And then, you know, we, we'd be sitting here, you know, just kind of counting down when it happens. Um, we, we talked a lot about, um, you know, the pick swap kind of was something that we talked about later. And I don't know if we talked about it on, on the pod, we talked about off the pod plenty, but. Um, on the pod, we, we talked at length about conditional picks for him. And we've always thought a conditional pick would be in there because the Jets, you knew the Jets weren't just going to give up a one for one year of Aaron Rodgers. If that one year is in, if he gets hurt or, you know, something happens, whatever. And I think here, you know, we talk, always talked about, but Green Bay wants a one. So if they can get some sort of conditional one where, you know, if he plays, and in this case, 60, 65% of the snaps, if he plays all those snaps, all right, it's a one. So. Um, you know, I thought it might be a little more like incentive based, like, you know, if they win X games or win X playoff games, blah, 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 whatever. I like this, though. Um, this makes a lot of sense. The 65% of the snaps is just easier to track. Um, and I think it, it's a the win. It's a win for Green Bay. If it's a win for for New York, we won't know until after the season. We won't know until what their result of the year is like. I mean, right. if they don't they don't make a run. It's not worth it for them. Right. Yep. That, that's my initial thought. If they're if they don't make a run, it's not worth it, um, especially if Rogers only plays for a year. If he plays for two years, it's worth it. But if he only plays for a year, they don't make a run. I don't know if it's worth it. But um, big ups. I, I know I think I, I tweeted this when when they kind of knew when the news broke on, on Monday. Um, big, big props to New York for getting this done before the draft. It allows them to solidify what they need to do. And I and, and I think it was really, really intelligent and very forward thinking of them to get Elijah Moore out. Um, in exchange for the two, or I guess more in a three in exchange for the two. It was a bit really intelligent of them to go get that extra two, uh, even if it meant giving up a three. Getting that extra two for for uh, to to give to Green Bay, um, I think really helped. It really made the deal easier for them. Um, and I think frankly, the I don't know if it changes New York's draft plans. I think maybe they're going to get worse tackle now potentially if if I I say potentially because I don't know what New England New England listen Bill Belichick's going to roll on roll into draft day he's going to roll out of bed on draft day with eight names on his big board eight that's it eight 
one one for each round plus plus an emergency like break glass in case of emergency guy. That's it. Maybe we'll have like some like 14 like a backup option for each round, but like I don't even it's going to be like 10 guys at max. 10 players max. That's it. He's going to roll out of bed, he's going to he's going to pick I don't know, some somebody random at 14, somebody random in the second round like happens every year, man. It's going to happen. He's got eight guys on his big board. Yeah. So I don't know what they're going to do, but all I know is it does. I don't know if it helps Green Bay that much in terms of like maybe that, like, I guess we don't know what, what they want to do or what New England's going to do, but I guess them jumping New England helps if they want to tackle or maybe like a receiver, like to get JSN, but I don't know. Yeah. I'm not sure what route uh, Green Bay is going to go, but I get it. I'd be excited if I was a Green Bay fan. I mean, yeah, you lost your quarterback and you, Presumably have Jordan Love now, but I think this turns into a fun draft and fun next year's draft as well. And I just think it won't be too much of a rebuild. The roster isn't bad. I mean, they have still a lot of good pieces on that roster. Um, do oh, yeah. definitely need to fill some holes, but yeah. I think they could still be contending for a division title. And it should be fun to see how they kind of how that pans out down the stretch of the offseason and into the season. Um, that's pretty much it. Non-draft related news we have this week. The rest of the episode is going to be um, draft based. So starting out, we created a top 50 big board. Each of us have our own big board. And it's ranking the players in the draft one through 50, putting positional value aside, strictly just talent, not team fit, not anything, but ranking everyone in the draft, every position. How talented are they? And we're going to kind of do this in a system where we're going to start at 50 and go to 41. And then another person will go 50 to 41. And then 40 to 31. And another person will go 40 to 31. So we're going to cover 10 at a time and kind of snake our way through this big board before we get into some final draft predictions. Um, so I'll let you go ahead and start with your 50. Yeah. Um Similarly, we're going to do this similarly to how we did the uh, positional rankings, um, you know, for each each episode we did those on. Um, like you said, they kind of snake through it. Um, like I said, positional value is not taken into account here. So as you guys know, I'll spoil my one. It's B. John Robinson. It's been for a while since kind of the Jalen Carter stuff came out. Um, positional value is aside. I don't think he should be the first overall pick, but I think he's the most talented player in the draft. So is it one for me? So um, the tough thing, I think, for me, and I think, uh, I think we, we've kind of both echoed the sentiment is is viewing these guys from a non Chargers or in your case, non Ravens lens and kind of just viewing them as players um, and what they can offer to any NFL team. Um, obviously, this isn't, you know, this isn't my Chargers big board. If I had, if I didn't make one, but if I did, I wouldn't have any quarterbacks or tackles on it. Right. I don't need a quarterback or tackle in top 50. So, um, you know, so that, that kind of breaks down where it's just, you know, the players as they are. Um, I will say for me, at least like when I project, you project more with quarterbacks than you project with guards. So positional value doesn't necessarily weigh in entirely, but when you do a projection, like Will Levis is a great example of a player where you have to project a little more with him than you do with, say, John Michael Schmitz. You're not not having to project his game as much, right? So there's a little bit that comes into there, but again, with in terms of the board holistically, it doesn't really come into play. Adam Schefter just tweeted that Houston has not has not received much action across the board 
uh, for a trade at number two, but they have explored the idea of moving out of the second pick. Monitor that as we record the rest of this episode. Um, but no, holistically, the board doesn't reflect that positional value. Um, more just about the projection of the player. But I'll get it rolling with my top 50, my, my 50 to 41 here um, at 50. This is my guy. If I had to pick a receiver in the class, that's my guy. It's probably Jonathan Mingo out of Ole Miss. Um, that dude is a, he, I really like him a lot. Um, and I was only going to talk about because he's my guy, but I'll run through this quickly in a second. Um, turned on to him late uh, by Chargers Twitter. I um, really like his game. A, a bigger guy in a class with not a, not a lot of big receivers. Um, 49, I got Will McDonald, the fourth out of Iowa State, edge player. At 50, I've got uh, 48, I've got Josh Downs, receiver out of North Carolina, slot receiver, I'll specify. Um, at, four, at 47, I've got Steve Avila or Avila, um, the interior offensive lineman, guard or center out of TCU. 46, I've got Jack Campbell, linebacker out of Iowa. Uh, Cam Smith, corner out of South Carolina at 45. Keanu Benton, IDL out of Wisconsin at 44. More of a nose tackle, um, but IDL overall. Um, Jalen Hyatt, wide receiver out of Tennessee at 43. Sam Laporta, tight end out of, out of Iowa at 41. And Luke Musgrave, tight end out of Oregon State at 41. Um, Sorry, Laporta's 42, Musgrave's 41, both tight ends. Um, so yeah, that's kind of my 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 40, my 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 41 to 50. Um, I'll let you kind of give me thoughts. Anybody that you don't have on here that you want to shoot a question off at me about, or if you want to get into your your uh, your 50 to 41, go for it. Yeah, Benton, um, Downs, and Mingo all just missed it. They're probably in my 51 to 55 range. Um, just missed the cut as I was kind of trying to figure out what final guys I wanted to put in the rankings. My 50 is Zach Charbonnet, running back out of UCLA. 49 is Miley Smith, the D tackle out of Michigan. 48 is Jalen Hyatt, the speedy wide receiver out of Tennessee. 47 is Joe Tipman, the primarily center, but can play guard offensive lineman out of Wisconsin. 46, Felix Anadike Uzama, the edge rusher out of K State. 45, Steve Avila out of TCU, like you mentioned. 44, another guy you talked about, Will McDonald, the fourth out of Iowa State. Uh, I think he could slide into the first round. Um, unlikely, but definitely a possibility. 43, Sam Laporta, tight end out of Iowa. 42, Luke Musgrave, tight end out of Oregon State. And 41, Jack Campbell, linebacker out of Iowa. So we had a lot of similar guys. Overall, you know, a few spots up or down either direction for us, but overall pretty similar. Pretty similar overall. I think our thought processes are very similar as we when we scout players. So um, there's some overlap here. There's a couple guys that were that were pretty different on. Um, Mozzie is a guy that I I'm one of the guys in kind of this 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 process that I've been way lower on than Brett has. Um, just don't necessarily see it, and that that's and that's fine. Um, a guy that probably would have known like my 60 to 70 range, and then Charbonnet just missed. Um, Charbonnet would have probably been in the 51 to 55 range for me um titman as well is probably in that in that in that next kind of 10 to 15 range um everybody else we've got on the same list i think i'm a little higher on on uh and dk uzama is just uh what he can kind of provide as a third year guy on a pretty being a pretty young player you know 21 years old so i'm um, really like his game though but my 40 to 31 here actually you know you're up are we gonna snake through or am i gonna go uh i'll go we'll snake through okay yeah we'll um, snake through. that works yeah keeping it going with inside linebackers number 40 Trenton Simpson out of Clemson, um, you know, kind of strong safety linebacker in the box role. 39, um, outside pass rusher BJ Ojolari out of Louisiana State. 38, corner out of Mississippi State, Emmanuel Forbes. 
37, we have John Michael Schmitz, the center out of Minnesota, the best center in the draft. 36, I have Will Levis. 35, I have Hendon Hooker above Will Levis. Uh, by one spot, it is basically arbitrary, but I just think Hooker will be a little bit better the next level, so that's kind of what did it for me, putting him just over Will. 34, Cam Smith, corner out of South Carolina, maybe a first-rounder. That was definitely a top 35 pick, I think. 33, Darnell Wright out of Tennessee. Um, I like him a little more than I did initially. Two spots below Anton Harrison, the offensive tackle out of Oklahoma. And in between those two, we have the wide receiver out of TCU, Quentin Johnston. So that's my 40 to 31. Um, you know, I think I'm probably, obviously, having Hooker above Levis is I'm a minority. Um, but other than that, I feel like it's pretty fair. I'm a little higher on Forbes than most people just because of his ball hawk ability is something this class doesn't have as a whole in terms of the corner class. Um, yeah, it's pretty much the only things that I feel like aren't common. Um, I think B.J. Jalari is going to be good at the next level, whether he is year one or not. I don't know if he will be, but I think in the right room, it'll be really beneficial. Um, and yeah, so that's pretty much it for my next group. Yeah, no, Ojalar is a really young player, and I'll and I'll get to him in my in my in my in one of my groupings here. Um, I, I don't even have Forbes on my list. Forbes would have been, um, probably not a top sixty guy for me. I just there's never ever been a corner that size that has succeeded in the NFL, which really concerns me at the weight, um, especially with as physical as receivers can be now. I, that's what worries me, and I, I from a firsthand knowledge, like I know. In Asante Samuel's work, and even this year, teams made up the point to run stretch at him. Teams will run stretch at Emmanuel Forbes in hopes that he just gets bodied by receivers. So that's my one concern with him. But I think the ball hawking ability is something that um, brings value to a secondary. Um, and I think he's a guy that, you know, in passing downs would be a great corner for somebody. I just, he's not an every down player for me, and I value that a lot. Um, but I'll get to my list here. I've got uh, number 40, I've got Hendon Hooker, quarterback out of Tennessee. 39, I got Felix and Adika Uzama, Ed Rusher from Kansas State, who I'm, I'm, I'm pretty high on. Um, Adetimiwe Adabwara, uh, the IDL or just defensive lineman, I think is a better classification for him out of Northwestern at 38. I'm a big fan of his. Um, I love his game. A guy that I think I'm higher on overall, but again, I really like his game. I think he can do a lot of different things. At 37, I've got Tuli Tui Pelotu, the defensive lineman out of, out of USC. Um, B20 on draft night, by the way, really young guy. I'm in that group of, I think, four or five guys that are not even going to be 21 on draft night. Can't even go have a beer to celebrate. What a shame. Um, but no, a guy that I like, I've liked through the whole process. Uh, 36, Will Levis' his name kind of comes off the border for me. Quarterback out of Kentucky at 36 for me. Uh, Brian Brzee at 35, uh, D.I.D.L. out of Clemson. Quinton Johnston, receiver out of TCU at 34. Drew Sanders, linebacker, outside linebacker slash linebacker um, out of Arkansas at 33. Keely Ringo, a name that I know you're going to get to here pretty soon, uh, a corner out of Georgia at 32, and then Anton Harrison slotting in at 31 for me as well, the tackle out of Oklahoma, left, probably play right tackle, left tackle, um, so I'll kind of get into the list a little bit, um, I had the Levis at 36 just like you did, um, ahead of Hendon Hooker, I think when you project these two players, I can see Will Levis being a three quarter, three contract quarterback. I think he it would take some time for him to get there. I don't know if I see it with Hendon Hooker. I think Hendon Hooker starting so many games in college, there's not much more for him to improve. And I think with Levis, there are the the weaknesses in Levis's game. I think are correctable weaknesses where I think hookers are just there 
I think that's just his hit as a player. Those are always going to be the weaknesses that he that he plays with, which every player has weaknesses, you know, with, you know, whether it's Tom Brady or, you know, Mr. Irrelevant other than Brock, I mean, Brock Purdy. I mean, everyone has weaknesses uh, in their game. Uh, and I just think that with Levis, when you look at the, the unique physical profile, you can project a little more and see a little bit more, at least to me. Um, Brazil is a little, I'm a little lower on Brazil than Brazil than you are. I just, it's a lot of projection for me. Uh, it's been the toughest eval I've ever had to do on a player. Um, but it's a lot of projection and I know the, the athletic traits are unique and they're elite for a guy that big. It's just that to me, we haven't seen him at his best in three, in two years when he was 18 years old, 19 years old. So it's a lot of projection. Um, the health concerns me. I, I, we, I moved a guy down on my board today, just a little bit on my positional rankings. The one move I made was because of an injury concern. So, um, just health overall concerns. And I'd love to see Brian Brzee get right. I'd love to see him get healthy. I just, I don't know if that's ever going to happen for him at a, on a consistent level with the injuries that have happened. And, um, you know, all the traits are there. It's just, the film was too up and down to me. Um, and then another guy here I'll get to uh, with Johnson being so low. Talked a little bit at length about him earlier, just just the drops and, and the the unnaturalness at receiver um, being an actual receiver of the football is a little concerning to me. Um, so I don't love it, but I'll kind of let you give your take on my list real fast. Yeah, I like it overall. Um, Tuli Tupolotu was a guy that had a ton of production in college at such a young age, which is always promising to see. Um, I did not get him into my rankings. I didn't, he probably would have been another guy that was in my next five or six uh, after 50. But a lot of promise with him. I liked it overall. I mean, I, I really like Drew Sanders. I'll get to him in a minute. Keely Ringo I like as well. And we have Harrison at the same spot. So overall, pretty good list. Yep. Um, appreciate that, brother. Um, going from 30 to 20, 21 now. Um, I've got BJ Ojalar as a top 30 player to me. Um, obviously showed up in your, at 39 in your list. Um, edge rusher out of outside edge rusher out of uh, Louisiana state or LSU, better known as, um, I've got John Michael Schmitz, the interior offensive lineman from Minnesota at 29 Osiris meatball sub Torrance interior offensive lineman from Florida coming at 28 with the beef, uh, Darnell right tackle out of Tennessee at 27 right tackle. I should say out of Tennessee. At 27, at 26, I have Darnell Washington, the freak of nature unicorn tight end out of Georgia. 25, I've got Jameer Gibbs out of Alabama, the running back transfer via Georgia Tech. Um, 24, I've got Miles Murphy, the edge out of Clemson. At uh, 23 and 22, I've got back-to-back wideouts here with Zay Flowers out of BC at 23, and then Jordan Addison out of uh, USC via Pitt at 22 and then uh, we got another Pittsburgh Panther um, guy who did not transfer out and Kalijah can the IDL um, coming in at 21 on my big board. A um, little bit of explanation here real fast. Um, really like BJ Ojolari, man. He's, I've said it before, the fact that he was throwing and landing that ghost rush move at 20 years old was so elite and just so freakish. Um, he's a really good athlete, man. I think he's got a lot to learn as, as a run defender. Um, and he's probably a sub package only guy early on. Um, but again, a guy who I think that in the right system, give him a couple of years in an NFL offseason or an NFL, you know, training system, um, to get some weight on him, get a little play strength better. Um, but I really like what he can do. He's really bendy. Um, he reminds me of Will McDonald, but like three years younger. Gee, wonder if he's going to be a good player. Like, you know what I mean? So that to me, that's like the big difference between those two guys is McDonald's like 24 and Ojolari is like barely 21 or 20. So to me, when they're very similar like that, I'm going to give the edge to the younger player. Um, 
Darnell, I'll write him a little higher on than you are. I think uh, there are some concerns, I will say. He's 27 overall, but there are some concerns with him, I think. Uh, the play weight, he's got to keep got to, be able to keep the weight off. Um, he's got to be able to not – he's got to get the conditioning. The conditioning has to be better, too. He's got to be able to play late in games the way he does early. He had a great game against Will Anderson, and 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 but again, in the fourth quarter, he seemed a little tired. Um, so I'd like to see that improve. And then the one thing I will say that Josh Heupel offense, when was the last time you saw a Mike Leach air raid, Texas tech tackle or an art Bryles tackle, make it in the NFL? <clears throat> the answer is you didn't. So that's my one kind of hang up as a scheme thing. It's really hard to rush the passer unless you're Georgia and you just have a bunch of first rounders on your front across the entire board and you can't throw on them. It's really hard to rush the passer against that, just that, that system it's meant to, to stop pass rush um, and get the ball downfield and, and hit quick hitters and then kind of send the ball deep. And that's what Tennessee did all year. So a little concern there, but I think he'd be a, a really solid guard as well. Um, and then it gives it 20, a top 25 player for me. He's just so electric with the ball in his hands. Um, really elite, elite mover. Um, Body control is great. Uh, I think he's a his upside as a pass catcher is really unique as well. Um, and then Miles Murphy at 24, I'll touch on him real fast. Uh, really good run defender. I personally don't see it as a pass rusher. I don't see the upside as a pass rusher. Um, I don't see this elite edge rusher uh, rushing the passer that could be with him. I see a really good run defender and an elite run defender. I don't see the elite pass rush guy. So um I'm sure we'll talk about a couple of other guys that aren't that aren't on this list when you get to yours and you're in your 20 to 19 or 20 to 11. But um, but yeah, that kind of wraps up my my thoughts on that. Yeah, I like it overall. Um, the list of guys that are pretty similarly ranked for me, not a whole lot of difference um, in comparison. My 30 is Osiris Torrance, the guard out of Florida. 29, Keely Ringo out of Georgia. I just really like his athleticism, size, speed, production he had as a sophomore. Um, 28, Anthony Richardson, quarterback out of Florida. Brian Brzee, D tackle out of Clemson. Um, if he goes to the right system, he could be really good. One spot above him is Kalaja Kansi that you just talked about. Darnell Washington, a unicorn tight end. I have one spot higher than you. Drew Sanders, the do-it-all kind of box guy. Pass rusher out of Arkansas, productive this past season. Um, pretty good size as well. Jameer Gibbs, running back out of Alabama, should be kind of 25 to 32 range in the draft. Um, Lucas Van Ness, 22, Ed Risher out of Iowa, just promising upside for him and fresh legs overall. Didn't have a ton of volume in college. Nolan Smith, one spot above him at 21 to round out this segment out of Georgia. Uh, small pass rusher. I just think he has, granted, you mentioned the injuries, and it is tough um, to reject a guy that had two season-ending injuries, but being the top recruit in your whole class out of high school, um, playing at a storied, for a storied defensive program, let alone program as a whole, um, I think he had probably a little better coaching, and I think that'll help translate better overall at the next level. Um, but, I mean, I have three edges back to back to back. Um, so not too much difference between these guys, just minute things that I think put one guy over another. Yeah. Um, 
So I'll get to Nolan and Van Ness in my in my in my twenty to eleven. Um, I'll kind of comment on on Collision and and Darnell Washington real quick. Um, I think I'm a higher on Collision than you are. I don't think he's scheme. I, I think he can play. A couple, I, I know for a while we talked that he was he wasn't scheme versatile, and then watched L22. I think he's a little more scheme versatile than I than we kind of thought at first. Um, pardon me. And then I also think that. With Darnell, obviously we're we're nearly identical on him. Um, as a couple, same with other couple of other guys in this class. But I think he's a first round pick, man. He's so he's just so unique. He's one of one. He's a unicorn. Um, he brings a, a, an elite element to run to run games from day one, and I think he also, um, you know, he brings some projection as a pass catcher. But he's such an elite red zone threat that I think you, you, a team's gonna take the chance on him, right? So, um. But I, I, again, it's a, a very similar list. I think as we get to the, in the next, you know, the next 20 players will be even more similar. Um, so I'll let you get going through 20 to, to 11 here. But um, very similar thoughts on a lot of these guys. And um, I'll touch on those couple edge rushers here in a few minutes. Yeah, for sure. Next up on the list, Miles Murphy, another edge out of uh, Clemson. I have him four spots higher than you. 19, Broderick Jones. Um, feel pretty similar on him. I think he'll be really good at the next level. Just Got to watch the weight, I think, a little bit for him and just make sure his feet can improve. Foot speed um, is a big thing. And then back-to-back, I have Zay Flowers out of Boston College and Jordan Addison out of USC. Two guys that are probably going to be picked pretty similar spots um, number-wise. I just think Addison's a better route runner, more experience, more production. Um, Banks is number 16. Deontay Banks, corner out of Maryland. Like him a lot. Um, Hope he stays and goes to the Ravens at 22. That's probably my pick. Um, I like him a lot. He's a freak athlete. And while he didn't have a ton of production, he had a lot of pass breakups. Uh, could stay with guys with on the routes um, and didn't didn't really ever get twisted or anything. Um, 15, Dalton Kincaid, tight end out of Utah. Um, you know, back injury is a little worrisome, I think, for teams. but Overall, if the medical's clear and they kind of run their own tests, I think they'll feel pretty good. And I can see him being the first tight end taken, but some production there at Utah. 14, probably the nickel corner at the next level, Brian Branch out of Alabama. Really just a stout player. I mean, this is the definition of a defender in this day and age in the NFL, I think. Um, just a really good DB, ton of production at such a storied university in Alabama and should project well and play well at the next level. Um, number 13, my tight end, one Michael Mayer out of Notre Dame. I just think he's closer to Kincaid as a receiver than Kincaid is to Mayer as a blocker. And I think, you know, clean injury history from what I know and should have a pretty seamless transition to the next level. I'm probably going to a team that needs a tight end, but not necessarily. I don't want to cut you off. I don't want to cut you off. That was one of the best ways I've heard those two tight ends described that he, that mayor is closer uh, as a catcher to Kincaid than Kincaid is as a blocker to him. That's a very, that's a very, very astute way to put that. And I would, uh, I would co-sign that uh, 10 out of nine times or 11 out of 10 times. Appreciate it. Yeah. I just, when thinking about it, I was, I was going back and forth really thinking about, cause they did offer such different skill sets and, as a lot of these classes do, you look at the receivers, they all offer something different. Even the O-line and the offensive tackles, they all kind of play get their game in a different way. And I just think 
when I when I was really coming down to it, thinking about it when I was doing my, you know, we locked in our big boards and positional rankings today. Um, I think on Monday I was really looking at the tight ends and I was like, do I want to make a move here? And thinking through it, and I was like, no, I like Mayer more as a receiver than I do Kincaid as a blocker. So um, that's what came down to that. But yeah, really close for me. I mean, 13 and 15 on the board, not a whole lot of difference. Um, Joy Porter Jr., a corner out of Penn State, 12th on my board. I like him a lot. Corner three for me, the first of the tier two corners. The only thing that's a little tough is that he is older. Um, I think the oldest corner in this class, a little kind of aggravating when you're wanting to project a guy knowing that he's older. Um, but he does offer a ton. He's probably the best press man corner. Um, being that he's a little slimmer, he is actually fairly physical. Um, you know, he, he definitely had a couple games where he didn't play up to his potential, as most guys do. But I feel like he will be a really good corner just because I feel like he's easy to fit into a defense. Like you don't have to, like, imagine a fit for him. It's just does he fit or does he not? And I think he's going to go to somewhere where he has a fit, a day one role, starting corner, probably a corner two. And I like that overall for him. Um, Paris Johnson Jr., to round out my 22-11. Paris Johnson Jr. is probably going to be the first offensive lineman taken in the draft. Probably. I say that because Peter Skaronski is such a wild card who we both have in our top tens in terms of where he could be drafted based off what teams see as his role. Um, Paris Johnson is the best left tackle in the draft, played on a good O-line, had a lot of production and a solid conference being the Big Ten from Ohio State. Um, so he is 11th on my list and just outside of the top 10. Well, Rap Sheet did just tweet that it sounds like Paris is going to be the first off the board. Um, whether that's the Arizona thing or not, I, I, I mean – if you want to tackle and you take one at three, I think it's Paris, but we can talk about that later, obviously, if they actually do it or not. But um, no, I, re- I I like Paris a lot as well. Um, anyone, let me look, check this. Let me look at the actual list itself again. Anyone that you are just way higher on than I am. Um, you're a little higher than the receiver, the, 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 the pair of receivers than I am. Um I mean, to me, I just I, I, it's hard for me to project those guys in the NFL consistently. Uh, I do have more faith in teams to scheme those guys. I just neither of them are bona fide ones to me. I don't know if they'll ever get there. That's kind of what holds me back a little bit. But again, we're we're close on them. You got them 17, 18. I've got them 22, 23. But to me, I think 22, 23 is right around 21. With Cancy is where the drop off of like legitimate like long-term starters for me kind of drop off maybe miles murphy but with edge rushers i really i really value the pass rushing part of it as opposed to the run stopping part of it um but i think if i look down from like 20 on it's kind of like these guys are all like they could be really good at a role i just don't know if they're well-rounded whereas i get into my top 20 um i feel like most of these guys are really really well-rounded um maybe one but it's a massive projection, which I'll, I'll I'll get into here. Um, and I did make a final a final flip earlier. Um, something that I've been teetering on. I've been watching a lot of tape the last on tight ends the last week, um, especially Michael Mayer. Um, so I did just make a last second flip, but I'll get into it in a second. Um, Deontay Banks, corner out of Maryland, is at twenty for me. 
Uh, Broderick Jones tackled out of Georgia's at 19 for me, same as you. I've got Nolan Smith at 18, the editor from from Georgia. Um, here's here's the big riser for me. Anthony Richardson at, at a quarterback out of Florida is at 17 on my big board. Um, I'll get into him in a second. Uh, Lucas Van Ness at 16 out of editor out of Iowa at 16. I think I'm higher on him than most people, and I, and I, and he's obviously Tyree Wilson's like my guy in this class. Like that's my guy. If I take him out of the equation, Lucas Evans is my favorite player in the class. Like if I take out like like the consensus top five guys, like Lucas Evans might be my favorite player in the whole draft. I love his game. I don't know why more people don't get it with him. I, frankly, it it baffles me, and it baffles me that the staff at Iowa treated him the way that they did. But whatever. Um, Dalton Kincaid comes in at 15 for me as well, and Michael Mayer comes in at 14. I just flopped them. Like I I'd done it earlier. I just forgot to flip them on the sheet. Um. They're really talented, both of them. Um, I think the one thing that, that kind of kept putting me back to getting Mayer back to that one spot is he's younger. The injury history is cleaner. And the big thing is I think he 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 can become a more nuanced route runner and he can become a more crisp player. I don't know if I can teach Dalton Kincaid to go do the things Michael Mayer does, like the dirty work. I don't know. And I think in today's NFL, it's so valuable to have a guy that can go do that and kind of line up at the H back and be a little more versatile. Whereas I don't know if Kincaid can do that. Um, but again, they're they're very close for, for me. They're both awesome players. I'd be happy with the Chargers took either one of them on draft night. Um, and for what it's worth, I do think Kincaid, sorry, Mayer is the pick at 21 if he's there. Again, barring Van Ness or Nolan Smith falling, because I've been told that. If either of those two guys fall, they are the pick, and it would be Nolan Smith first, then Van Ness. Um, but I don't think either of those guys are there. So I do think Michael Mayer is the pick on uh, tomorrow night. Uh, 13, I've got Joey Porter Jr., corner out of Penn State. At 12, I've got Paris Johnson Jr., the tackle out of Ohio State. And then at uh, 11, I've got Jackson Smith and Jigba, wide receiver out of Ohio State. Um, really like Jason's game. He's really smooth. He's, he's easily the receiver one in this class for me, the only wide receiver one in this class to me. Um, a little more on Nolan Smith. Uh, this morning I moved him and flopped uh, him and Van Ness of edge four and edge edge three. Um, it's the injury history. Two season in it, two season ending injuries is tough to, to stomach. Um, and I just I think he's less scheme versatile. I think he is he can't do quite as much. And I think again the the injury thing really scares me. It really worries me looking back. Um, kind of forgot about it through the process and I was kind of reminded of it today and it's just, it, it worries me. It, it would be tough for me to take him over Van Ness when I think they both profile as potentially elite edge rushers. So, um, that's kind of the only last, that's kind of the, what flopped it for me with Richardson. Um, man, he, he's the biggest boomer. He's not the biggest boomer rush prospect. I shouldn't, I shouldn't say that. Um, from a, I guess the range from his floor to his ceiling might be at the greatest in the class, but I don't think the floor is that low. I don't think the floor is this super low, super low floor. People say it is look at Justin Fields. Justin Fields is a fine NFL quarterback and he, and he's not a great passer of the football. But Anthony Richardson's a better thrower of the football than, than I think Justin Fields is. I think at least it, I think in year two, at the end of year two, I think right now for Justin Fields, I think Richardson will be ahead of him in year two at the end of year two as a thrower of the football, just from an arm talent standpoint, 
I think he has he can accomplish more. And I think his his issues are more fixable, if you will. Um, when you really break down the mechanics and, and kind of what goes wrong for him, it's fixable to me. Um, Matt comes with playtime. The quarter, the team that drafts him, like if, if if he goes to the Colts and the Colts want to win right now, brother, I don't know what to tell you. A mistake for them because when you're you're drafting Richardson, he's got to go to a place like Josh Allen went in Buffalo, where where Buffalo said, "Hey, Josh, you, this you made a mistake, you failed here, but here's how we're gonna get better. Here's how we're gonna improve as a." And we're going to be a team like us, the coaching staff, the front office, and you are a cohesive unit. Like, you know, everything in our heads, there is no, there's no jeopardy for, there's no job security for us. There's no job security for like, you are the guy you are, you are the guy. This they can't, it cannot be a situation where he comes in, gets benched. Like it, it, he, if he's, if you want him to start from day one, and I think that's, he should sit, but I think he also could benefit from playing right away. You got to give him the keys and say they're yours. It's your team for the next four years. You're not going anywhere. If you've got to give him the security to to make those mistakes and screw up and get better from him because he's only played one season of football, realistically. You've got to let him make the mistakes. I think that, that was Trey Lance's demise, I think. He always had Jimmy behind him. And he knew if he made a mistake... It, he was done. He, he, he didn't have the environment to learn from those mistakes. I know he sat for oh, yeah. a year, but still, he always had Jimmy looking over his shoulder. And I think that with Richardson, it, he has to be – if he's going to be the guy from day one, there is no flipping and flopping and back and forth. It's his – it's it's all or nothing for him. It's his or or he's sitting the whole year. Or, 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 once, he, or once you put him in, you can't bench him. It's got to be him. You've got to let him struggle his way through this learning process. And I think if that that's the crucial mistake a team could make or a coaching staff could make is, oh, man, we're on the hot seat. We got to win games. AR, you're out, dude. No, like Richardson has to be the guy where he goes. He has to be able to work through his mistakes and fumble, fumble his way through the learning process of being an NFL quarterback. It doesn't it doesn't he doesn't have to be Justin Herbert. Or Joe Burrow, who comes in and lights up the NFL from day one. He didn't have to be. He didn't need to be, you know, a guy like Trey Lance who sits the whole year. I don't think he has to be either of those things. He just needs to be Anthony Richardson. He needs to go in, do his thing, be an uber-talented individual, and just learn. And and should be a sponge. It's always got to be. So I think when you project like that, you can see – and listen, it's a lot of projection, which is why he's not a top-ten player. Listen, if if it was that easy – He'd be a top 10 player, but it's not. There's a lot to correct. There's a lot to fix. But if he can get there, brother, he'd be, he's going to be a monster. If he figures out how to, if he gets in between the ears right, he's going to be a monster, dude. It's just think about what Cam was, not like as an MVP, but just the, the monster playability, the ability to literally on, on any single play score with the arm or the legs. And I think the floor, when you look at that, isn't that low. Yeah, and I don't disagree with you. I am. Uh, I have him 11 spots lower than you do. I just think there's a little more projection than you think. Um, I mean, that's not, there's not really too much to that. Um, but overall, you're 20 to 11, really solid. I think we're really similar on a lot of guys, you know, only a few spots off on many guys. Um, I like it a lot. I'll let you get to your 10 through one as your next up um, to round it out here. Yeah. Um, 
Number 10 for me is Brian Branch, the, the nickel corner out of out of Alabama. Um, really like his game. Best tackler in the class. Um, just a clean player at Alabama for three years. At number nine, I've got Devon Witherspoon, the corner out of Illinois. Uh, number eight, I've got C.J. Stroud, the quarterback out of Ohio State, uh, which I'll kind of get to his movement, uh, kind of volatile movement on my board here in a few. Um, Peter Skaronsky, the offensive lineman out of Northwestern at seven. Again, I'll get to him as well. Um, Christian Gonzalez, the corner out of Oregon at six. Jalen Carter, the IDL out of Georgia at five. I got my guy, Tyree Wilson, uh, edge defender out of Texas Tech. Uh, at number four, Bryce Young, quarterback out of Alabama at three. Will Anderson, edge rusher out of Alabama at two. And Bijan Robinson at one, uh, running back out of Texas, generational player. Um, I'll go through these. Spend a little more time since the top ten. Um, I've talked about Branch. I think he... From day one, starts in the starts in the slot. Nickel defenders are starters now. Every team is in nickel 80% of the time, it feels like. So he's a starter there. I think when he's not in the nickel, he can shift to safety and just be a box safety for a team. Um, Witherspoon, not much to say. Technical, technical player, very physical. Um, very much got that DB mentality. Um, so I like him a lot. Um, I'll skip. I'm going to come back to Stroud. Uh, Skaronsky, all pro guard. All pro guard in like two years. Like he's a top five guard in two years, I think. Genuinely. Uh I don't I think you can let him fail at tackle first. And if he's serviceable, fine. But if not, move him to go. It's like Zach Martin. That's what that's what he I know that's lofty because Zach Martin's a Hall of Famer, but that AVT is the more realistic one. But I think when you look at Zach Martin like the when with Zach Martin, it was more like, hey, he's a really good tackle at, at, in, in college, but he could be a, a an all pro guard. And Dallas tried him at tackle, and then in training camp, they just put him at guard. With AVT, it was like he played guard first, then he played tackle, then he played guard again. So um, with Gonzalez at six, it's just that, that I haven't wavered with that much. Um, he's CB1. He grew a lot from from year two to year three going from Colorado to Oregon. I think he's got a lot of growth to still have. I believe he's going to be – he's 20 on – he's younger than you. He's 20 on draft night, one of the rare guys. So with that, I mean – He's almost two years younger than, than Witherspoon. It's just so much growth in his game and just the elite profile athletically. Um, Carter at five. I've said it. I'll say it again. Um, he's generationally talented on the football field. He's a generational talent, like football player. But unfortunately, on draft boards, what does come into it, if, if, context for me is projection as a pro. And I have I have a hard time projecting him as a 10 year pro, if, if he's really that, if the, if the maturity issues are going to, he's got to go to the right place. He can't go to a place that's not going to get that in check. And I don't think Detroit can do that. Genuinely. We just saw what happened with Detroit. He can't go there. He cannot go to Detroit. Or unless, unless they're going to have this overnight culture change. I don't like it in Detroit. He's got to go to a place with a veteran in that, in the room with him. I think um, that's going to be able to take him under their wing and help him get his off the field issues corrected. Cause unfortunately you hear stories every, every podcast you've ever listened to with former players or a former players, a guest, they go, man, who's the best player ever played with. And you're expecting to hear like some hall of famer. A lot of times it's some dude they play with in college who just could never, could never get off the field. Right. They could never just be a professional even halfway. And it ruins careers. And I would, I don't want it to happen to Jalen because he's so, He's so talented. I just I worry that if he goes to the wrong place, he could fizzle out in six years. 
Look at Isaiah Wynn. And not that they're they're sim- they're obviously came from both came from Georgia. Not not the same talent wise, but jo- Isaiah Wynn was a very talented player who's not in the NFL. Or no, sorry, I'm thinking of uh Isaiah Wilson. I just flipped Isaiah Wynn, Isaiah Wilson. Isaiah, I mean, he's not in, he's not in the NFL. Two literally two years and he's gone. Gone. And I don't want that to happen to Jalen. And I don't I don't think it's that extreme, but it's definitely an issue. And no matter how good you are in college, there is an adjustment to the NFL. And I think that, again, with the maturity thing, he's got to be able to get that in check a little bit um, before we get to the NFL level and say he's an all-pro. And he's and he's a, he's a this, this, and that. So, um, Tyree at four. Um, the, really, the top four, it's like there's no off-the-field issues with them. So, that's why they're ahead of him. Uh, with Tyree, he's so talented. He's just so He's just so big and strong. Um, he's, he, his floor is really high to me. I think the ceiling is <laughs> elite, elite edge rusher. Um, get, get him with a pass rush plan. Really didn't get any legitimate college coaching on the defensive line until he got to Texas tech, especially with Tim DeRuiter, um, this la- this past season. So I think you saw the growth in his game and I think you can see that, see that at the NFL level with pass rushers. It takes so long for them to figure it out sometimes. So, um, and then Bryce at three, um, I mean, if he was, He's just he's Joe Burrow, but like three inches shorter and lighter. That's what he is. He's he's an elite processor, um, special special player. It's really close between between the three at the top uh, with Will at two and then and then and then Bijan at one. Obviously, I think Bijan's a generationally talented individual. I don't I wouldn't say Will's generationally talented because you see edge rushers every few years that are this good. It feels like you know. Um, like we always like just the best athletes now play, they, they, they rush the passer. So it's not like, it's just this rarity to have this guy like will come out of the draft where it's rare to have the talent in, in, in B. John Robinson, um, coming out. So, um, and then I'll get to Stroud real quick and then I'll let you get to your, your thoughts. And then I'll get to, get to your, your 10 to one, but with Stroud, I, the consistency is an issue. To me, and he's, he's the eighth player on my board. I'm not trying to just dog him right now. But the reason he's at eight and he's moved a little bit is because I I have to see him out of structure more often. Um, that's the big one. And then I and then the other thing is I question the the professionalness, like the readiness to be a pro. Haven't liked the media scenes that I've seen from him. Someone needs to media train him. I, I, t- I sent you that clip today where it's like, it's not a bad quote, but it's like, man, y- you don't come off as super mature with the quote you gave about about his scoring. Like, I'm not a good test taker. Like, are you 17 years old taking the SAT? Like, bro, th- we, we could have gone about that differently, I feel like. So, and just kind of, I just feel like the way he's gone about his media. Like, don't don't say Deshaun Watson is your favorite quarterback. Let's not. Let maybe let's shy away from that. Like, let's maybe not put that guy in the limelight. So I just I the maturity is a a, a, a tad bit of a question, which I don't I don't want it to be. It wasn't with Justin Fields coming out of Ohio State, so it's not an Ohio State thing. It wasn't a question with Justin Fields. It's not a question with Parrots. It's not a question with with JSN. I think it's just a how CJ carries himself type of thing. And maybe he's just, a, I mean, maybe it's just, he just doesn't care. I mean, and that's fine. If he, that, that's how it is. And that's, he's just nonchalant about it. That's fine. I just don't know. And then I think again, the stuff coming out about him not being great in the room, like with his, his testing number being low. And then 
just the between the ear stuff. It just dropped him a little bit. It was just a little, a little more risk, I guess, involved. But again, he's such a natural thrower. He's the most natural thrower of the football in the class. Um, I wanted to end it on a positive note with him. He's a natural thrower of the football. You saw the improvement throughout the year. You saw him get better. You saw him be very cognizant of his of his issues in in the Northwestern in, in Michigan games, and then go take a sledgehammer to those issues in the Georgia game. I just want it to be more consistent. That's all. Um, but other than that. That's my that's my that's my ten or my one one to fifty I suppose. Um, so yeah, I, I think uh, overall, real quick on my my thoughts overall. Like I said, you get to about twenty mm, ish, and the overall elite talent really falls off a cliff to me. Like the overall, like hey, that guy's a starter right now. Hey, that guy's a that guy's a, like an enter position one for however long that falls off a cliff to me. So. Um, but yeah, I've had a, I've had a great time throughout this process watching all these guys. Um, maybe we'll do a little, a little a little like a little my guys thing uh, during our, our draft recap. Uh, hey, where did our guys go? Like these were our guys. Here's where they went. Um, that kind of thing. I don't want to drag us drag us on too long today, but um, really excited. Definitely got some guys from this class. And my goal this time is to follow these guys' NFL careers. Like I loved a bunch of guys a couple years ago. And I just I have no idea what they're doing now. So. Yeah, definitely. Um, we do feel similar on the top 10. Uh, we don't have anyone that's more than three spots apart between our rankings. Um, nine of the 10 are the same. 10 for me is Peter Skaronsky. He's my highest ranked O-lineman, but he's not my highest ranked tackle. I was thinking about putting him as an interior offensive lineman, just for, but just for the sake of giving other guys some love and kind of keeping it into one position. I left him off those rankings. Number nine, Jackson Smith and Jigba. Obviously, the hamstring is a tough injury to sustain and it's always one that you think about long term and you can't really ever fully recover from that um which will be tough but there's always that risk of that injury coming back um he i mean he's probably a top 15 pick devon witherspoon i think he's my favorite corner i think he's the best corner in this class but the reason he's not number one is because he's a year and a half older than christian gonzalez and Chris Gonzalez has a higher ceiling, and I think they have pretty similar floors. Um, Chris Gonzalez just didn't have quite the experience and overall volume that we saw from Witherspoon. But seven is Tyree Wilson. Um, I mean, if he was healthy the whole season, he would have had more sacks than Will Anderson. Um, he was only a sack and a half away, and he played, I think, five less games. So um, a big deal and a big-name guy there, I think. I hope goes to Detroit. I hope Carter goes to Seattle, uh, ideally. And six, Christian Gonzalez. We both have him at six. Really, really like him. Smooth. Um, has the next level size. You'd like to see him put on a little muscle. Um, but he's really, I mean, he's has a nose for the ball as a corner that's huge. And he can run with anyone. Um, five is Bryce. Bryce is five. CJ is four. Very similar ranked, and I feel very similarly about them. It's just in terms of why I have CJ ahead is because I think he will be a better overall pro when you take it for its entire meaning. Not not off the field. I get some of his quotes have been a little, you know, lackluster in his effort. Um, I do think Bryce is probably the better off the field guy. Um, but I just think CJ plays better on the football field. Yeah, Bryce didn't play in as much structure, didn't have the receivers, didn't have the offensive line. 
Um, but CJ has the arm, the precision, the natural way to his game that I feel like, yeah, Bryce was, you know, really high-ranked recruit starter, at, you know, storied college like Alabama, like I mentioned with Branch. And yeah, he was able to scramble and the way he carries himself in the pocket, the calmness that he carries himself with is eerily similar to Joe Burrow. And like you said, if he was a few inches taller, he would be Joe Burrow essentially. And I just think CJ, when you take his size, I mean, you don't really see many 5'9", 5'10", quarterbacks succeed. Russ is the shortest quarterback that's successful, and he's six foot. Kyler Murray, yeah, he got paid, but he hasn't really done anything. And, I mean, he's 5'9", he's similar size to Bryce, and he runs better than Bryce. Granted, Bryce is a better thrower. I just, just that's my take on it as we kind of round this out. And then Maria's Bijan, um, I really like him a lot. Had a ton of production. Um, best running back in a while it seems like every few years we have a really good running back but someone that offers everything he offers you don't really see it hardly um so he's three for me two is will anderson we do see you know pass rusher probably every other year we see a really good pass rusher missed out on it last year but just in the past five years we've seen chase young nick bosa miles garrett you know a little you know seven years ago i think but there's always a really good pass rusher it seems like and will have the production and the best conference in college football to project. And while he isn't as versatile, he's kind of like a, I think he's kind of like a TJ Watt to me in terms of, you know, he's a good run defender. And I think he contains really well against dual threat quarterbacks. Um, and he has the upside of production like TJ, obviously TJ having a single season sack record when will put up 17 and 17 and a half sacks as a sophomore. And 10 as a junior, that's a little worrisome. Uh, nonetheless, he was given a lot more attention by the opposing offense his junior year. But a lot to look forward to with him. Number one, Jalen Carter. Um, yeah, off the field is a little problematic. Um, but, I mean, he was racing. And granted, racing isn't good. But it, at least it wasn't like a domestic violence or, um, you know, kind of in that realm. And it was, to a little lesser degree, I'm not you know, commending him for it, but we've seen a lot worse with guys. Um, but in terms of the off the field stuff, he does have to go to the right spot. I think Seattle, like I mentioned, would be perfect for him. Learning from, you know, a good coaching staff, a good front office. There's not a ton to do in Seattle in terms of off the field troubles. Um, and they have vets on that defense. So I think it would be beneficial for him. They need it. I mean, it'd fill a hole, fill you know, it's about where he probably gets drafted. And I just, it's a bummer that he, that he was involved in the whole racing situation and that he did take part in it. That did hurt his stock. Most definitely. I don't know if the bears would have traded at least to nine. They probably still would have traded out, but maybe they trade with India, not Carolina. And I just think it's tough to think about how he's going to be as a pro at the next level. But at the end of the day, I think he was the best football player in the, in the in the country last season so that's why he's number one for me our best football players you know get up there pretty high for me um, but that pretty much wraps up our top 50 big board and our draft coverage as a whole um we're going to have a draft recap after the draft but that's our big board we've obviously gone through our positional rankings all that is now locked in for the draft and for however long it is locked in and you know no more changes will be made to our boards. I like our boards overall pretty similar. Um, 
we'll get into a few predictions here in terms of the draft, just in terms of what we think will happen and that people are talking about will happen, and also what we think might happen that some people aren't talking about. So I'll kick it off. Um, overall predictions, I think we are going to see three quarterbacks in the top 10. I think Levis is the wild card where do we see him go forward to the Colts or do we see him slip? And I think definitely we'll see three quarterbacks in the top 10. We'll probably see four. You just never know. And another question mark is Bijan, like who actually takes him? And there's a lot of teams that could, and it makes sense. And, you know, why not? But at the same time, will they actually, when it comes down to it, when they're on the clock, do they make that move? Um, you know, I predict he goes to the Eagles, I'd say. And I don't really know if anyone before the Eagles is going to want to draft him, given their other needs and who's on the board. Chicago at nine continues to be a spot that I just I keep going back to. Um, they're they're not contending right now. Let's just let's just make that clear. They're not contending right now. They don't need to be drafting like like in in the the argument that I've heard made for this, and I I hate it. Um, and I won't say who it is because I don't want to like talk bad about someone name dropping. But the argument that I've heard is like you should only ever draft a running back in the first round if you're a running back away from being like a Super Bowl winner or contender. And I don't, I don't, maybe I don't entirely disagree it like in, in like, you know, the back end of the first. But Bijan Robinson is a generational talent, generational for a reason. He's not just a running back. You could line the guy up in the slot. And I've said, I've said this time and time again. He could be a slot receiver and he'd be an elite slot receiver at that. So, you know, um, I think when you look at the Bears, like they just need talent. They they need talent across the board. And 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 they could they could literally the Bears could do anything at nine other than take a quarterback and I'd go makes sense. Like any position that's on the board within reason, like a relative reason, I go yeah I get that for them. Like that that makes them better. Like that's a good pick. So you know I I just I keep going back to them. With if if they're truly bought in on Justin Fields, and they are, they would have just sat and taken Bryce if they weren't. They're committed to Justin Fields. The front office is committed to him, and a front office that didn't pick him, which is big. They're committed to him. And unfortunately for them, I suppose, he's never going to be this elite thrower of the football that Aaron Rodgers wasn't in the division, you know, for however long. He's never that's never gonna be his game, which is which is okay. You've got to then cater to his strengths, which are his ability as a runner and his ability to create in the pocket and create out of the pocket, his ability to extend plays. Well, if I want to take this running game up to the next level and be what Philly was running the football, I'm either taking an offensive lineman or the rumor has it that they like their offensive line enough to not take one at nine. And especially in my opinion, like I, I, I'm fairly confident that Vegas is taking Skronsky at seven if he's there. Like unless he goes before that, like if he's on the board, he's the pick, I think. And if Paris goes three, I'm not taking Broderick Jones or Donna Wright at nine. I'm just not doing it. <laughs> no chance. Maybe I can move down and take one. But if I want to stick and pick at nine, I'm going to get the best running back to come out of the draft since Adrian Peterson. And I'm going to make my run game with Justin Fields impossible to defend at times because both either one of those guys is taken to the career potential on every single play both have the potential to take one to the house on run plays so uh 
keep going back to that spot. Um, I wouldn't rule out a trade up for him. I would not rule out a trade up for him. I think like Buffalo is so desperate to get better offensively and surround Josh Allen with more talent that I would, it would not shock me if a team, if he falls past, like, you know, if he falls past New England at 14, I could see the, the Jets moving down. Actually, I know I couldn't. That's a divisional rival. I could see Washington moving down at 16, a team that wants to get picks next year, moving down and, and, and the, the Bills taking the swing. Like, hey, this is, this is the piece. Like, this is it. This is the last piece of the puzzle. We haven't been able to get over the hump. This is it. This is the piece. And going to get Bijan. Um, can I give a couple predictions here for myself? I wonder how, who's the first trade. I, I General Logic has told us it's going to be Arizona for the longest time, but I don't know if they're going to find a, a partner to move out. It feels like everyone knows they're basically desperate to get out. But who's going to make the move, right? Mm-hmm. Is it a team that is it a team that wants to get ahead of Indy to get a quarterback at three when Houston doesn't take one? Is it Indy when they want to flop and make sure nobody gets there? I I don't know. I don't know how. And I said this last week or last week or the week before, like the, we've always talked about, like oh quarterback trade, quarterback trade, quarterback trade. It, it ain't happening. Like it doesn't happen. Teams just historically we've not seen it happen in the past five years. We've talked, dude. I remember talking about like, oh man, someone's gonna go up to three with Detroit and go get Tua ahead of ahead of Miami. And guess who didn't move down? Detroit. They sat there and took Jeff Okuda. So we we see this all the time where teams just sit and they just they make their pick. They pick they pick the talented player and move on. So I don't and I know Arizona wants out, but when I look at it, I go, I don't know if a team's gonna want to move up to get one of the three that's left. I don't know. So. I think the first trade does not occur in the top 10. I don't think Arizona gets out. I don't think they're going to be able to, unless they're willing to take a lesser package, if you will. Like, if, unless they're going to take a right. package that they don't think is worth it. I don't think they're, listen, if I was, I've been vocal. If I was, if I was Brad Holmes in Detroit, brother, I'd have already moved to three. I'd have already made the trade. I'm getting one of CJ or, or, or Richardson. I don't care which one. I'm getting one of them because they're never going to be this bad again. They shouldn't be. And my, frankly, if, if, if we are, I'm fired. So I'm going to get the quarterback to get some job security. That's just me, but they're not doing that. It doesn't seem like, and maybe it happens in 20 minutes. Maybe they do make the trade in 20 minutes. And and, then I'm, and I look like an idiot, but I don't think someone's going to get up to three. I don't think Arizona gets, gets a, it gets compensation that they're satisfied with. Um, so I think the first trade happens outside the top 10, and I think it, it, it could very well be Houston at 12. Yeah, I think we all know there's multiple teams in the top 10 that want to move back, but like you said, it's trying to find a trade partner. I think Atlanta. It takes, takes Atlanta. Two, yeah, well, it takes two to tango, right? We've always said that. Right. takes two to tango, you got to find a down partner. Right. I, I want to say Atlanta moves out. Um, maybe someone wants to come up to get offensive linemen. Um, but yeah. New York or... You want Pittsburgh. To, you want to come P- up Pittsburgh right, to me. Pittsburgh, um, or to get JSN if you're you know desperate and you think someone's going to take him. I think Atlanta's going to be my prediction. But yeah, just kind of think about the draft, different avenues. You know, teams could go down. Obviously, 32 separate teams, and then you talk about the teams not picking in the first round: Cleveland, the Rams, Dolphins, 49ers. Um, you know, do those teams make a push and they 
to try to get in the first round. Um, obviously, it'd be tough for teams like San Fran, who doesn't have a pick until 99. Um, even L.A. would be a little tough. Cleveland as well. Um, but, I mean, there's a lot that could go down and a lot of different paths these teams could take to try to ensure they get their guy while also trying to build their roster without giving up too much capital. So it's a fun thing to think about. Um, but, yeah, that'll pretty much do it for the draft until we have our recap. Good question. You yeah. want you want to do Ravens? You want to do Ravens Chargers predictions real quick? Just right now, what we think? What's our what's the gut feeling a day out basically? Is this just like for the draft or for first round? Or? Yeah, ju- just for the first round. I don't want to because we get into the weeds with if he, if this guy's there at one twenty five at one twenty seven. Like here we go. Right. We're either moving back to thirty three or thirty four, or okay. we're sticking and picking and taking a corner. Give me the player. Uh, I'm going to go Deontay Banks. I think he has a good mm-hmm. shot of being there. Him or Porter yeah. Jr. will be there, I think. And I think it's going to be Banks. I, uh, for, personally, I think I think the NFL is going to draft Banks first just because the 10 out of 10 RES score is ridiculous. And for some reason, that's just the, the feeling I get that Porter might fall a little bit. Um, it would be funny if he was a Raven, though, considering his dad it was a, a legendary Steeler. Um, player and coach, by the way. Um, for the Chargers, I talked about earlier. I think it's right now. I think it's Michael Mayer. I don't think the edge rushers make it there. Um, and they value college production a lot. And I think Michael Mayer is the guy. Now that said, I will say I've got, I kept pointing out to me today in the last six first round picks, the Chargers have made the players have been under 22 and a half years old. And I'll have an RAS score of no lower than 9.3. Michael Mayer doesn't fit that bill, nor does Dalton Kincaid, nor do any of their receivers. Guys that do fit that bill, I made the list earlier because it was in a like a Discord chat that I'm in that someone had Bijan. asked the question. I was like, oh, I'm curious. Bijan fit that bill. Bijan fits that bill. Uh, Lucas Van Ness fits that bill. Uh, Nolan Smith does not fit the bill. Miles Murphy does. Um, funny enough, which I think is kind of hilarious, um, that Nolan Smith doesn't, but I think it's, it's, there was a size that lowered his RAS score a, a whole bunch. Um, Ooh, I think it was in draft, the discussion. Here we go. Um, let's see, where's my lock it in Bijan or LVN? Well, Deontay Banks fits that profile. 10 out of 10 RAS would be tough. For that. So the, the play, it's, it's Banks, Bijan, Murphy, Van Ness, Brzee, and Cansey. I don't think they're taking an ideal. This year. They don't value that position enough. Um, could see him taking Murphy, and I would hate it. Personally, at 21, I would hate it. Um, I just don't see the passwords outside at all with him. Uh, I, he's an elite run defender, which is great, but I don't see the pass rush upside personally at 21 with other players on the board. Um, Van Ness I'd be thrilled about. Obviously, Bijan, I'd be crying tears of joy. Banks, I'd be, uh, I'd be okay with. Um, just don't know if corner is the way I want to go early, personally. But uh, nonetheless, um, I do think it'll be Michael Mayer. I think, I think Michael Mayer is, uh, is the guy, and um, they love Notre Dame. They, they've done a lot of homework on tight end. They haven't. Tom Telesco's never repeated first round picks. Uh, I think the only one was his first 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 round pick, 
and DJ Fluker, and then he took Slater last two years ago. But Fluker, whatever, didn't count. Most of his picks have never been repeated. So um, I'm going to go Michael Mayer at tight end at Notre Dame. I think he'll be there at 21. Um, yeah, I, I won't do this if this guy's there. Guys who I think, do I think will be there, I think it'll be Michael Mayer. Please, for the Ravens' sake, take a tight end. Because if you take Banks, dude, it'd be hilarious, man. If, if they took another crazy, tight end. Like, like, I just. The Ravens normally draft pretty well in the first round. Just, that's my yeah, yeah the short the Chargers too like that's my one thing like I'm not super worried because they usually they have a very good track record of first round of first round drafting the one the what the two misses was Jerry Tillery when you pick at 28 it's kind of a dart throw sometimes and then it was Kenneth Murray which was a Anthony Lynn trade up so whatever yeah I mean the only in the last decade the Ravens only first round misses were Brashad Perryman and taking Hayden Hurst instead of Calvin Ridley which. So, you know, so wide like out Hurst mistakes. Was bad, but yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I mean, I don't know what direction they'll go. It feels like corner. My gut tells me corner. Um, if they trade back, I'm saying corner too. So you're probably looking at it, Cam Smith or Kaylee Ringo at 33 or 34. But I will say, Mickey Loomis wants to trade up. Like, been pretty vocal about it for some for some reason. Um. And I've never heard Tom Telesco be so vocal about like the potential of trading down. He's I've never heard him talk about this much. So it, I would love to see him move to 29. At that point, take whoever. I don't really care at that point. You got an extra pick. Just make a decent one. So, um, right. though I'd hate to be picking behind Cincy because they'd probably I don't know. Although I think they're a corner team. I think they're like a defensive back team anyways, but or like an offensive line team if one's there. Um, but I think they could they could get a receiver at 20 at 29 to be happy with her. Um, like BJ Ojolari, and it could be a, a solid pick there. Um, maybe a corner there, like like a Keely Ringo. I would I'd be cool with there, uh, depending on kind of who falls a little bit. Yeah. But, um, Darnell, ooh, Darnell Washington, I'd be over the moon for at twenty nine. Oh, I love his game. Be happy about. But again, Chargers have a good a good a good track record of picking in the first round. Um, I'm really excited. It's gonna be chaos on Thursday night. It's gonna be absolute chaos. Yeah, I know. Um, we're just over 26 hours away. Really, like, what, 25 hours from when yeah. we really get things going. But, uh, yeah, I think, you know, I would be upset. Like, my one move that I'm, like, do not want to see is, like, Branch or Kincaid. Branch or Kincaid go to the Bengals. You don't want Branch? Oh, no, I, get, I guess with Kyle Hamilton, I get it. I get it, yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean that's pretty much it. Um, and we're a day away, and we don't really know how it's going to shake out after the first pick, getting into our getting to our ice bath kinda. And I'm just I'm excited to see how it goes, but at the same time, I'm a little worried just with what teams will do. Uh, there's been a ton of talk around the Mark extension, Ravens trading for Hopkins. Um, I'm not really going to touch on it until it becomes official, wherever whatever happens with those two. Um, but definitely some exciting for Ravens fans uh, to at least hope for. Uh, but yeah, excited to get this going. I think Friday is going to be a lot of fun too. A lot of really good depth within these classes. And I think Friday will be a lot of fun, rounds two and three. And then Saturday to round it out, starting at 11 a.m. Central, we got rounds four through seven. Uh, so a lot to look forward to. But, it, you know, with all of this kind of rounding out, 
was a lot of fun. We know more about the guys this year. We may not know as many guys as we have in the past, but in terms of the guys where it truly matters, we know more about them than we have before. I feel like we didn't kind of look at what our team was going to take. We looked at it more as a holistic view and every player. Um, So it should be fun kind of thinking about it, talking about each pick as it goes down. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think this year I, I I viewed it as much more of a league-wide lens and a Chargers lens. Um, so I'm not I'm not you know we the last couple of years we were a lot more in in the know about uh, later round guys as guys that we like for our team. Um, whereas opposed to I feel like I know less day three players this year um, than I have in the past, but I know a hell of a lot more about the day two and day one guys um, kind of across the board. Um, Obviously, we can't get, you know, a 300, a 300 deep list because this isn't, this isn't the, you know, the main priority every week. I've got school and, and you know, stuff going on that kind of takes precedence over this kind of stuff. But, um, no, really, really enjoyed this process. It's uh, it, in my eyes, by the way, it's, it's bittersweet, man. It, this is, um, yeah, I could not be more excited for tomorrow night. Um, but at the same time, it's um, you kind of lay your head down on Thursday night and you go, man, like day one's already over. Um, then, you know, day two goes by quick and then, man, you wake up and it's already, you know, draft day three and then it ends. Um, you kind of, you kind of rest on Saturday after it's all over and you go, man, like that was, that happened in the span of, you know, like what, 60 something, you know, 70 hours under 72 hours. And it's like, man, it's, it's sad that it went, we spend all this time, these months and months and months of watching college football and doing these rankings, you know, after, after the season's over and then doing the combine, doing free agency, doing visits and all this stuff. And, um, you know, it's bittersweet that it ends. Um, you definitely kind of lay down with a little bit of a little bit of sa- somberness in your heart, if you will, um, kind of after each round concludes and certainly on Saturday night when it's all over. Um, but that said, I'm so excited for it. Um, you know, as a Chargers fan, I'm really excited. I'm excited as a fan of the NFL. Um, that we're going to see all these guys. I'm, I'm so, so ready for the action. It's going to be, like I said, going to be chaos on Thursday night and um, cannot wait for all this to kind of come to fruition. And it's really cool to see, um, you know, like your work pay off, if you will. Like this is the time where all the scouting that we've done, we get to actually see these guys who get picked. And it's really rewarding when you see a guy that, that you were high on that some people weren't and he gets taken high by the league. And sometimes you feel like an idiot when you were super high on a guy and the league takes him late. So, um but nonetheless, it, it's uh, bittersweet is the perfect word to encapsulate kind of the feeling um, as, as we get so close to draft weekend. Um, but yeah, man, I'm, I'm stoked. I know we'll be uh, this time tomorrow. I'll be I'll be getting out of class at around 445, booking at home, grabbing my my, uh, you know, essentials for the draft and getting over to your place. Um, so I'm excited, man. I'm really I'm really pumped. Um yeah, I don't know. I don't know what else to say. I think I've said it all kind of through this process. So, um, like I said, bittersweet that's coming to an end, but man, I'm, I'm excited. Yeah, I mean, I just love. I've said it multiple times on here, but I just love news. And when you have this much news, really in like a 46-hour span, you have the three days go down, and it's just crazy. And it could start tonight, uh, and always draft day before the draft starts, you see some moves and. Sometimes they're to lesser degree than other years, but I think this year is going to be to the full degree every in every way. Um, now, if it does not look like look pretty dumb looking back, but I've said for a <laughs> while, no. I think I think this draft weekend is going to be crazy. I think we're going to see a lot of trades, uh, probably more so on day two. Maybe some teams trying to get into day one. Um, but yeah, I'm pumped for it. I cannot wait. I think it's coming at a great time. 
you know, it kind of felt longer at the same time. Like it's here. We're 25, 26 hours away. Um, and I'm just looking forward to it. So that pretty much wraps up episode 48. I think everything, you know, that we have on the slate today, we pretty much covered pretty well, a little bit longer than we initially expected, but it is our final episode before the draft. So got to you know, you got to get into your final takes and stuff like that. Um, we will be dropping our big boards in case you didn't catch it or you, you know, you didn't tune in for it. We did mention them in this episode, but we will be dropping our big boards on our social medias shortly here after the episode drops, probably in a couple hours. And then we'll be dropping our top five at each position. I know those episodes were a while ago. We've had a lot of changes since then. And we'll be dropping offense a little after the big boards and then defensive positional rankings a little after the offense. So stay tuned for that. A lot of content coming out on the Cold Seat social media tonight, in addition to this episode and our draft recap on Monday. Um, You know, kind of tone dialing it back with the content in the next week or so with the draft concluding. But, um, you know, for the next few days, it's going to be crazy. So stay tuned. Um, You know, tune into the draft yourself tomorrow night. Starts at 7 p.m. Central on ESPN. There's an NFL Network broadcast. I think there's going to be a lot of different kind of kinds of casts like we see for the college football playoffs, stuff like that. You know, if it isn't your thing, you got NBA on, you got NHL on, um, but those will be taking a backseat these next few days as this is what we've been gearing up for for months now. Um, so really excited for it. I'll leave you to kind of close it out. But, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to get it going, and we'll see you all um, on Monday. Yeah, um, draft recap Monday coming at you. Coming at you, we're gonna be posting. Uh, this is gonna post. It's five. It's four forty-six central right now. We're about to close this out. I'm gonna download it and get it posted as fast as I can. Um, and then we'll, uh, about an hour after we post the pod, we'll be posting our our, our top fifty big boards each. Um, we'll be posting our all of our top five business rankings and, and some graphics we made. Um, so be be st- tuned in for those. I'll be spamming my Instagram story personally. So. Cry me a river, both me a bridge and get over it. If you're upset about that and you follow my Instagram, deal with it, I suppose. Um, but no, man, really excited. Um, super pumped to get all this content out and really excited for all this to kind of come to fruition and um, mock the draft will be coming Monday. Be prepared for me to go just nuclear on some takes, on some oh, yeah. people's takes. Uh, yeah, but no, it's going to be a good time, man. I'm excited. Um, really excited to have our our kickback tomorrow night for it. And then Friday at, at my place, we'll do something as well, but I'm really excited. And uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed as well. If you guys, hopefully you guys have enjoyed all of our draft content. I know we've had a ton of, a ton of fun making it. This is personally my favorite content to do. I, this is, I love this stuff. Um, yeah, it's really an, an outlet for us to dive into kind of get away from um, use the stress of life. And um, as stressful as a draft can be, admittedly as, as stressful as it can be, clearly it's taking a toll on me right now. Um, no, it, but it, it's, it's an outlet. Um, this is my favorite time of the year. And um, thanks for kind of coming along the ride with us. And um, we'll have a kind of our thoughts Monday, but um, draft season is going to be officially over pretty soon. So um, stay tuned for our, 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 you know, our graphics come out and, and all that stuff. If you, if you missed the episode and, um, Stay tuned for the content on Monday, and we will see you guys soon with the draft recap. No doubt, yeah. Stay tuned, and we'll see you all in a few days.